Hey, everybody. Welcome to Idio Talk, a Radiohead podcast. I am one of your hosts, Walker Glenn. And I'm Zach Glenn. Good to see you, Zach. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm excited. Should we reestablish that we are brothers who host a podcast about Radiohead? Yes. Might be some new listeners. And that we love Radiohead. Those are our credentials. We, we went yes. to the school of hard knocks for loving Radiohead. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We got our Radiohead education on the streets. What was and, the and, school of hard knocks for loving Radiohead? That's such a weird <laughs> mismatch. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is I'm going to say decidedly not the school of hard knocks. No. That is the school of soft knocks. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now, and I will say our title is slightly misleading because this is Idiotalk, a Radiohead podcast. But as a point of fact, we are actually the only Radiohead podcast, mm-hmm. and not only the only Radiohead podcast, but I think maybe the only media coverage of Radiohead, period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So listeners, I, you'll find that if you Google the word Radiohead, and yes, I said the word, it is one, it is a compound word, there is uh-huh. not a space, Mm-mm. there is a space in the, the talk- Talking Head song that they took their name from, but it's yeah. one word, Radiohead. If you Google it, two things will come up. One is uh, Radiohead.com, the band's mm-hmm. website, mm-hmm. and then the other is the website for Idiotalk, a Radiohead podcast. That's all you're going to find. Yeah, and that's the URL, isn't it? Idiotalk, a Radiohead podcast. There's no www or .com. <laughs> There's no .com. It's just you just type that into the Google search bar, and Zach and I's face comes up staring at you. <laughs> Yeah. Um, which is a lot of pressure, I think, to be like to be the only source of information about this band. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of welcome it. We really have a monopoly at this point mm-hmm. on like if you want to know something about Radiohead, you got to come through us. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is exciting. But that's who we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, and who are you, listeners? You are folks who decided to tune into this podcast, which we very much appreciate. Mm-hmm. Now, Zach and I have been covering Radiohead's discography, album by album. Um, we've taken a lot of like kind of side quests into mm-hmm. solo project or Tom's solo projects, mm-hmm. um, soundtrack work. Has that come mm-hmm. out at this point? Yes, it has. Um, mm-hmm. And then just other things that we want to talk about, guests that we've wanted to interview about their kind of Radiohead expertise. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have the side podcast where we talk about the Batman films. Yep. Right? And today we're doing something a little different from all of that. This is our first kind of just Zach and I doing what we've been calling a a grab bag episode. Mm -hmm. There's just some kind of odds and ends or odds and sods, as they might say, across the pond. A cornucopia, uh, if you will. Ooh, I like that very much. Rolls right uh, off the tongue. Radiohead rolls, cornucopia. <laughs> yeah. A smorgasbord. <laughs> yeah. Uh, various meats and cheeses from the Radiohead farm. A Radiohead charcuterie board. And don't worry, there's vegetarian options as well. Uh Surely someone in Radiohead is a vegetarian or a vegan. I mean, I think the obvious go-to is Tom. Yeah, for some reason, I was thinking Johnny. I I could totally see Johnny, too. Um, As uh, covered briefly, we we will be doing the smile, or talking about our experience seeing the smile live at some point. You know, uh, our respective partners were enthralled at uh, the movement of Johnny Greenwood. 
And uh, I was and his hair as and his also, hair. Well, which yes. I, which probably didn't sting you as bad as it did me. <laughs> you know? I mean, my hair could never; it doesn't grow out like that. But yes, uh, I could imagine maybe that was a little tougher. I mean, hair flip is incorporated movement incorporates hair flip (laughs) but i was just thinking about it and i'm like you know he's the youngest member of the band by by quite a lot and he's 50 years old uh no no i'm sorry he's 51 two okay 51 um but uh just in, in fantastic shape and obviously you know um it's it's up to folks individually you know if they choose to eat meat or not but i was just i was thinking the same thing i was a very long-winded way of saying the same thing what his exercise regimen is i wonder at this sure point. i mean there's the you know healthy lifestyle aspect which as you like you know reach a level of success that radiohead has also just mm-hmm. becomes a easier thing to prioritize in your life you know to mm-hmm. to adhere to a strict diet or fitness regimen. I was Mm -hmm. even thinking though more just because Radiohead is kind of a totally cause oriented group of individuals and tends to be, you know, I would say broadly of the left Mm -hmm. and these things are share an overlap often with animal rights activism. Yeah. But that's not necessarily, Right. He's a very active animal rights activist. I really love that about him. Yeah, but I but I am kind of it is occurring to me that this is not a topic that I necessarily have heard Radiohead comment on, but I wonder if it is something that any of the members of the band are individually passionate about or practice. I mean, I definitely love this this dialogue and uh you know, but we probably will need to cut this because as you said, we are the Radiohead experts, the only source of information. <laughs> the band is rather closed wondering. off with I know we're just wondering out loud, huh? <laughs> we're both sitting with uh computers in front of us. And, well I guess right. we'll never know. But we can't know because as I said, if you Google Radiohead, the only thing that comes up is this podcast and their website. So if it's not on their website and we don't know it, it cannot be known. Yes. And and even though we are the primary source, they have not given us their telephone numbers and ways to reach out and ask this personal question. So no one will ever know. Not Not yet. Not yet. But I'm, you know, time's going to tell on that one. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, What the hell were we talking about? Uh, vegetarianism johnny greenwood's in great shape um yeah i had some sort of point i wanted to make with all of this <laughs> but it is completely eluding me now um oh but this episode that's where that's what yeah. we were talking about so in this one we just thought we'd talk about some kind of like more random things uh mm-hmm. that we have come across with radiohead that individually are not maybe worth their own episode, but are worth talking mm-hmm. about on Idiotaka Radiohead podcast. So we've got some stuff to play for each other today. Zach has some stuff that I am not really aware of that he wants to share with me. I have some stuff that I haven't given him the details on. I want to share with him. Mm-hmm. And so we're really excited to uh, to do that with each other and, and do that with you listeners. Um, but in yeah. any case... Zach, how are you? What have you been up to? What's been going on with you? I'm great. I think uh, I'm extra great today, though, Walker, because you just, I mean, you just covered off kind of the light agenda. Uh, This is a business meeting now. (laughs) I know. Um, I like that they're listening to it. It's like, welcome to us planning the episode, listeners. (laughs) Could have been uh, an email. (laughs) 
you know, we are recording um, on a Wednesday today. A podcast comes oh, out on a Friday. Yeah. Uh, we're actually recording on Ash Wednesday, uh, February 22nd, 2023, which is the uh, 30-year anniversary of the release of Pablo Honey. Zach, um, you don't have to tell me that. I'm the co-host <laughs> of Idiotalk, a Radiohead podcast. I know that Pablo Honey came out on February 22nd, 30 years ago, uh-huh. which by my count makes it 1993 yeah. at the time that this came out. Not released in the U.S. until April 20th um, of, the, of that year. But, and was that, know. do you think that was because they knew that the U.S. Yeah. citizens were going to want to spark a doobie when they were, you want to roll one up to anyone can play guitar. You know what I'm I saying? certainly hope that was the reason and not in celebration of Hitler's birthday. <laughs> um, but uh, also uh, a I vegetarian. So also, they, they, oh, famously, yeah. <laughs> um, not a pot smoker, though. He was more into cocaine and heroin. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, I would say him being a vegetarian, definitely one of the most famous things about him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But no, yeah, I mean, I don't have anything to add as far as what we're going to discuss, but I was really excited just to let the listeners know. Unfortunately, we're not going to release this. We're not going to deviate from releasing on a Friday. But I I think that ties in nicely, though, with some of the stuff that we're going to kind of retrospectively look at. Well, let me ask you this. Since it is the 30th Mm -hmm. anniversary of Pablo, honey, you know, how are you celebrating? And let me also look up, you know, how anniversaries have different, like there's the wood or the silver and all that. Oh, yeah. Let's look up what the 30th anniversary is. But what? how are you celebrating? Uh, well, you know, I I threw on um, the album, got through you, and anyone can play guitar. And I didn't even really make it much further. <laughs> so, yeah. So you didn't listen listening... to, Did you skip over Creep? No, I didn't skip over it. I just, I didn't get there because I've been listening to a lot of Radiohead, a lot of Radiohead adjacent content, and just a lot of great music in general what what have you been into lately i you know i've i've discovered let me just before i answer that let me just like d- disclose that as i've disclosed previously i sometimes struggle to engage with contemporary and or newly released music um sure. and I, as i've said i think that you're maybe a little bit better in that regard and in the past i've attributed this to streaming services making everything so widely available uh, changing and really directly influencing the way songs are written so that they pull listeners in. And just real quickly, what I mean by that is that Spotify only gives the artist uh, credit in the form of you know royalty or, or whatnot as a stream if the first 14 seconds of the song are played. So what you're finding is that a lot of songs are chorus first and like the hook is first, a lot of information up front. Right. So mm-hmm. that that is and that is a fact, too. Not every artist, though, as, as I'm going to talk about. But I, I do think there's merit to that idea that streaming is maybe influencing my desire to participate in new music. But I also think that it's driven by me staying with what I know, right? As we do. You know, as we get older, we like things that are same and that we know we like and that are relatively safe. Like also a feeling that there's so much classically celebrated music that I've yet to engage with, whether that's right. Bob Dylan, whether you know, whatever, you know, but just there's so much music that I know is great that I know some of, but I haven't gone doing a deep dive. Um, but all that being said, this podcast and this project has kind of ironically led me to have a greater desire to engage with newer and contemporary music for really the first time in years. Now, I don't want to make it sound like and the reason I said ironically is because it's radiohead focused. I have been listening and re-listening to their music in the most focused, thoughtful way ever, as much as they've been my favorite band for 
14 and a half years. And so, yeah, I just think that's interesting. And, and to the, the question you asked 10 minutes ago of what I've been listening to, <laughs> uh, there's a Brooklyn based band that I've been absolutely loving called um, the next great American novelist. And, uh, you know, listeners check them out. They're sort of an experimental, like rock alternative band, uh, led by singer Sean Cahill. And I do know that Sean's a listener to the podcast, which is not why I'm, you know, uh, why I'm bringing them up, except to say that when he reached out, he reached out like through, you know, the podcast Instagram page just to say that he was enjoying the show. And I, I did not know this band. Um, but I thought it was like really, really cool that somebody who's making music professionally as their career and like, you know, they have a, a fairly substantial following out there and, but it's taken the time to listen to our show. And the reason why that stood out to me is because even just having done this show, like I have my podcast, my mainstays, right. My stuff you should know is my girly and whatever, but I, I definitely have not been seeking out new podcasts as much. Cause, uh, listening to ours back, you know, every day, nine hours a day, no, just <laughs> but just like recording and stuff. Like I have less time and less desire to ha- want to have, airpods in or whatever you know sure um just a little bit and i can only imagine since sean seems to be pretty involved in like the production and and you know multi-instrumentals he's the leader of the band they are a band um i just think it's cool you know and and also cool because he was like one of our earliest listeners yeah and i just really really appreciated that and i also am like it's so cool. And I checked out the band and they are really fun to listen to. It's not like, yeah, Hey, all I, this great stuff, but they suck. <laughs> you know, they're right. an awesome, awesome band. I think it's cool too, because I listened to them per your recommendation yeah. and uh, this band rocks. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, I mean, it's incredibly flattering to, uh, well, and just incredibly exciting too, to know that we're kind of engaging in a back and forth through this podcast. Yeah. With, people who are doing such cool stuff absolutely man i yeah it's flattering it makes me it's like it's like in as good as it gets when he's telling Mm -hmm. helen hunt that like people see her weight tables and they have no idea melvin pay me a compliment right now Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yes there's that the whole you make me want to be a better man but then he also says the thing where he's like i see people in that restaurant watch you bring their food and take mm-hmm. their plates and have no idea. They just met the greatest woman alive. Yeah. And the fact that I get it makes me feel good mm-hmm. about me. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel right now with our <laughs> listeners and with Sean in particular. <laughs> yeah. No, was I that mean, a good, I... was that a good enough riff for me to commandeer <laughs> your, <laughs> your train of thought completely? <laughs> no, my train of thought was concluded. I think you put a button on it perfectly. Sean, we're grateful for you listening. And, and like I say, maybe we could put it up somewhere. But I really do encourage listeners to to do the same. You know, it doesn't have to be the same artist or whatnot. But but I know I'm not the only person that gets stuck in a rut. And I, I know I'm not the only person that's blamed that on streaming. Um, and I do know that, like I said, there's merit to that. But it, it's sometimes you got to break yourself out of your comfort zone. And and I talked about the project I'd done with Rick Rubin's discography. That's still in process. And then just real quick, I've also been playing, uh, and this has to do with Sean too, actually, because we were trading back and forth, like influences and bands we like outside of Radiohead. And he asked me if I've ever heard of the Dirty Projectors, which I had, and it's a band I love. And I've been listening to that album of theirs. I want to say it's their 2009 album, like nonstop. Biddy Orca? What's that? Yes. Oh my God, dude. So good. That album rules. And I, 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 
haven't really kept up with them after that. I know they made one album after that that I also really enjoyed. Me too. Have you ever heard their album? And this is an annoying thing about streaming. I think maybe it's not on the the big streamers now. Hmm. Um, I'm looking it up to see if it's on Apple Music now. But uh, it's the album called Rise Above. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And you know the concept of that album? No, I'm not familiar. It's the and I forget the guy's name who's the the you know found Oh no, oh, it is on here now. Cool. Um Dave Longstrath is his yes. name. It the album is him playing a black flag album from memory. Oh my god. But amazing. then it's like you know, it obviously it sounds nothing like Black Flag. It's yes. all original music and lyrics but it's like it's like a uh, a cover of his memory of this black flag album mm-hmm. that he listened to as a kid wow that's fantastic which i think I is that. and that so i really love that album and Vidi orca and i i got to see them live once open for tv on wow. the radio and wow. that was my first exposure to them it was right before that big album kind of blew up and they walked out and I, I immediately like prejudged them. Like they mm-hmm. kind of like just had this really like disheveled kind of like fuck it look. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is going to be really annoying. And then just immediate face melting. Like, oh my yeah. God, I've never heard anything <laughs> like this. I feel like they kind of, his guitar style kind of reminds me of like when the talking heads got mm-hmm. all into kind of like African polyrhythms and stuff. Like, I wonder if they have <clears throat> similar references. Well, I do know that the Talking Heads, David Byrne, has praised them, and they they cite them as oh, an really? Influence. Okay, absolutely, yeah, there, yeah. I mean, it's like you know, we are kind of listeners. I'm sure sussed out that there's you know, it, when you favor a band like Radiohead so much, you're gonna kind of merge those things together. But it is interesting because the Talking Heads are not a band that I was very familiar with up until about three four years ago, and and hearing like the influence that they've had over a lot of indie or or bigger than indie groups is is really really neat. And and again, that that's that's just kind of the cool thing about focusing on this topic of Radiohead, bringing it all back here, um, is it, it could have gone either way. I, but I'm not. I don't have Radiohead fatigue. I'm not sick of them. They are still my favorite band. I love this project, and I love where we're at with it. But I'm really, really grateful. You know, obviously the connections we've made, learning about new music, and then just um, exploring. You know, uh, uh, you know, Bitches Brew. Um, or something like that, you know, an influence on on the band, the Talking Heads, and then a lot of other stuff too that I won't go into. But yeah, I just kind of wanted to run through that first. Yeah, Radiohead is like the tip of a funnel that you know mm-hmm. so much great stuff has gone into, and I I think it's definitely an entry point to all sorts of stuff, as I guess most good music is, right? None of this stuff is made in a vacuum. Yes, but I think that Radiohead, though, I, I can only speak for myself, but I do think that what's cool when you when you talk to other Radiohead fans. Um, and this might be where a little bit of the air of pretension surrounds, but I think that it, they're not like math rock or something where it's just made for music nerds. I think that is a misnomer that like, oh, Radiohead's for musicians or something. No, absolutely not. Like there's so many people that just love great music. I do think though that Radiohead's music tends to lend themselves to people that have an exploratory kind of taste. And I think that it's, it'd be, it would surprise me to meet somebody that was like a big Radiohead fan but was unfamiliar with any of their more underground influences, say. And I'm not saying that they've listened to them, but that is sort of a commonality amongst the seemingly somewhat like decently sized group of folks that I've engaged with, you know, about mm-hmm. the band. 
and mm-hmm. and I just yeah I'm not I'm not saying that if somebody isn't interested in those or doesn't care that they are musically dumb or something like that at all I just it's just a kind of cool thing that I've noticed you know and I've been educated by a lot of those folks as well there's so much stuff I don't know about musically totally I mean and yeah it's it's definitely true that you don't have to engage with all the influences of an artist to like appreciate that artist it just can mm-hmm. be exciting I mean I know for me with movies I I consider myself a real uh movie lover and Mm -hmm. I watch a lot of movies. I still know that the stuff that I take in represents a very narrow margin of what's Mm -hmm. out there. But some people I'll get into their movies, get into their filmography and Mm -hmm. it will inspire me to like check out their influences more. And some people I love Mm -hmm. what they're doing and have a pretty good sense that they're, what they're into is not my thing. I'm right. talking specifically of Quentin Tarantino. Absolutely. Like, even though I know he has a really, really, really huge and eclectic appreciation of all different sorts of movies. He's really into kind of this like grindhouse and B mm-hmm. movie stuff that mm-hmm. I don't think that I'm going to enjoy Pulp Fiction more if I watch the, 1972 movie made for $500 uh, that looks like shit (laughs) that inspired a certain scene from it or whatever, you know? So absolutely. I struggle with this, what you're talking about in music and film. And I would say a bit more in film, but you know, sometimes like with guests that we had on Casey, like I really, uh, I don't need, I don't want to be that into movies. I don't, you know, but I really admire when you talk to somebody and it's like, they could talk about great American filmmakers like Scorsese or Kubrick or Spielberg or whomever, but also could talk about like some of the great French uh, cinema that like really crafted America's kind of idea of what it could be. But at the same time, and this isn't like an actual conversation I've had with myself, but at the same time, I'm like, I am into what I'm into. And maybe people think about you know oh when i talk to zach it's crazy his depth of knowledge about music maybe not but you can't live your life for for me i can't live my life being like i wish that i had more of a knowledge about a thing that i'm passionate about than i did you just have to admit that like i am the beneficiary of quentin tarantino's films or martin scorsese's films i actually like scorsese's taste palette a lot but like or kubrick and that's okay. I, I'm not ever going to be able to see and dig into like all the 1920s French cinema that inspired it or whatever. And if I do, great. But like, you don't have to know everything about a thing to love it. Right. And if you haven't, it doesn't mean that you won't. You, totally. Yeah. That's the other thing about enjoying this stuff and always being able to go back is it's not, it's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So there's no... there Now, Zach, I, I loved that shout out and... Uh, mm-hmm. and I, I want to say to our listeners, if you're hearing this and you're going, well, gosh, I'm a big fan of video talk and I'm engaging with the boys. Like, where's my, when is 15 minutes of a podcast episode going to be devoted to me? Well, <laughs> I would say go make a great album and <laughs> yeah. then we'll talk. <laughs> yes. You got to uh, step it up. <laughs> yeah, you got to 15 step it up. And you were talking Ooh. about stuff that'll always be there forever. You know, what will also always be there forever is the past. And in the past, oh, the members of Radiohead have gone through several different stylistic choices. Have they not? <laughs> oh yeah. Wow. What a seamless transition. I know. Um, b- before we get into that, let me just <sighs> say a, 
I just want to I just want to close a couple threads or what, <laughs> cut loose a couple threads. Uh, mm-hmm. First of all, the anniversary material of the 30th anniversary is Pearl. Mm-hmm. And when we saw the smile live was Johnny Greenwood not wearing a pearl necklace. He sure was. I he love how absolutely confident was. he is in that thing. Yeah, very cool. Another thing that our partners mm-hmm. were. Yeah. Oh my God, did you see his necklace? Yeah. It was like really cool. This is not how just they so talk, confident. But, but hurt yeah, people they don't hurt like people. That. That's they don't, but I'm upset. <laughs> and that's why I'm be, that's why I'm acting out. Now, do you think that he was wearing that pearl necklace because he was like, well, 2023 is 30th anniversary of Pablo Honey, isn't it? I don't think he thinks about Pablo Honey ever. <laughs> he like, doesn't even know that he made it. I think Tom uh, consciously thinks of how to subvert its existence. I think Johnny Greenwood is like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's true, huh? Tom, I wonder if Johnny Green, because Tom definitely has that quality of, there being a certain level of Not embarrassment. Yeah. Well, I think that Greenwood has that vibe that you're saying of just kind of like, mm-hmm. it's all ephemeral and he maybe mm-hmm. doesn't look back positively or negatively that much. That's but I think idea. Yeah. Yeah. Tom as Tom is like, and this isn't a knock, but is maybe, maybe as the front man of the band is a little more image conscious and mm-hmm. is like bothered by, Radiohead's, you know, in my mind, very rare and very forgivable missteps into things yeah. that have not held up super well. Mm-hmm. Anyway, now before we move on to the style choices of Radiohead, like I said, that was that was a seamless transition, and I'm sorry that I am throwing a wedge in it, and we're not no, no, seamlessly it's okay. transitioning. But would you ask me how I am celebrating the 30th anniversary of Pablo Honey? Yeah, Walker, I'm curious. How are you celebrating the 30th anniversary of Pablo Honey? Well, I listened to it in its entirety today, but that's no different than every other day. I wake up. I got to start the day. I got to start the day with Radiohead. So I go, all right, what's the what's the earliest Radiohead available for me to listen to? I mm-hmm. throw on Pablo Honey, listen to it start to finish. Think about how I want to, want to, want to, want to be Jim Morrison. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I just continue my day in that vein. At the end of the day, I'm falling asleep to those final notes of true love waits at the end of mm-hmm. a moon-shaped pool. And mm-hmm. then, hey, we got to do it again tomorrow. And, you know, so it may, it's kind of like how, you know, do you only love your wife on your anniversary? Zach? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, no, I love her every day. I, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, Because, no, you know, the day. way... <laughs> the way she was looking at Johnny Greenwood at that smile uh, concert. Yeah. Well, we have an interesting setup going up. I'm not going to say any more than that. <laughs> <laughs> is, 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 he, is Johnny Greenwood both of your hall pass? Uh, no, but I was, I, uh, I'll just say I was cheering her on um, to, you know, uh, <laughs> admire someone else. That's yeah, you're a proud setup. cuck when it yes, comes to Johnny exactly. Greenwood. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh, just kidding, listeners. Now, Zach... You were saying that, you know, we've all gone through a lot of styles and mm-hmm. what does that make you think of? Oh man, this is so much worse than the transition you did. I've, I've tried. <laughs> no, to... no. I loved all of that up until there. Let's try it again. Uh, well, is there a way I can set you up for the seamless transition again? Oh, well, I don't want to cut your, your insert from the seamless. Oh, you no, I know, it? but. I just, I just, it was so good that I want to give you another, I, I okay. we'll leave all that in, but I just want you to, you know, 
yeah, totally. be able to show um, off those skills again. Okay. I mean, hey, you know, being a cuck is okay if that's your style. Absolutely. And talking about <laughs> styles, there's a style icon in the band Radiohead. No, we're not talking about Phil Selway. No, we're not talking about Colin Greenwood. We're no. talking about a man of s- smaller stature, I would say. Yeah. Um, but, you know, huge Tim ambition. York. <laughs> yes, exactly. Tim York. No, Tom Wait, York. is his and, name Tim? No, it's Tom. Oh, okay. Sorry. I haven't listened to the podcast in a while. <laughs> so, uh, Tomothy York. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, as the leader of the band, the front man, you know, you kind of can't help but just, you know, be front and center in some way or the other. And, uh, Walker, I did email you the sort of Tom through the years images that I have picked out. I, I don't know. I mean, I'll kind of throw it over to you from there as far as, like, just kind of working through the chronology and what our various thoughts are. Well, yeah. So, okay. I see that you've got, you've got a grid. <laughs> yeah, a grid. <laughs> this is awesome. So Zach made, did you make this? Uh, no, <laughs> no. I just okay. uh, took it from online. Yeah. Okay. So Zach has uh, sent me an A and we will put this on our Instagram listeners also. So make sure if you're not already yes. that you're following us at idiotalk.podcast on Instagram where we post visuals for a lot of the things that we're talking about. But what we have here is a eight square grid of different Mm -hmm. Tom Yorks through the years. Now I'm guessing there's a look accompanying each album. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing that this was made before a moon shape pool came out because it names each album until a moon shape pool where it simply says LP nine. Right, but I think what's cool is that there, I I did look for, at this for or look for this for a long time, something similar to this, and I I do think that the look in LP nine square is representative of his look uh, during that album, and I I also like too that because Radiohead did work in two to three year chunks per album before the four year break between Hail to the Thief and In Rainbows. I would my only kind of knock on this one is I would say that the picture they have for In Rainbows is actually further after that in like 2009 when he was playing with Adams for peace. That's actually where that photo was taken from is him at a festival with Adams for peace. So we could kind of maybe pull up in rainbows otherwise and whatnot, but I really felt like this was a very accurate representation of various hair colors, lengths, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. That's really what we're talking about. Right. Is, I mean, the look is part of it, but we're, we're really ranking Tom York's hair. Mm hmm. Now, okay, well, well, so why don't we say that there's, you know, that these represent the eight hairstyles that Tom York has had, mm-hmm. each one, or I'm sorry, is it eight? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, I mean, but he's Radio had more than has, eight, but... but <laughs> has nine albums. Well, oh, we Kid A and Amnesia. Okay. They yeah, have we're, combined as one. Okay. And that makes sense, because that, mm-hmm. that was one era. Mm-hmm. So why don't we do our best to rank Tom York's eight hairstyles through the years from worst to best. Okay. Or should we start Uh, with best or should we start with worst? Let's go uh, worst, worst to best. Okay. And I think we should just do our best to achieve. Now we might have disagreements here, but we'll Mm -hmm. do our best to achieve cohesion. Mm -hmm. I, I know what my worst is right off the bat and, and not to be all clickbait here, but the answer (laughs) may shock you. (laughs) uh well mine is is just a slam dunk maybe not a slam dunk it's actually pretty close but i would just say the pablo honey 
uh, listeners, um, is it's Pablo Honey, long, almost shoulder length hair, uh, bleach peroxide blonde is yep. it's not the worst look I've ever seen, but it's it's not befitting of Tom York. OK, so that's your worst look because it's uh-huh. so untommed to you. Yeah, I, I would say that's interesting. That is not my worst because to me, that one is. I know what your worst is going to be. It's definitely not his best look, but it like really it's it's so of the time, you know, mm-hmm. like this is so in the grunge era mm-hmm. that I, I think it's pretty forgivable. My worst look for Tom is in rainbows. Dude. Oh, my gosh. I, I was trying to send you a photo right now of it, it's a very famous photo. Yeah. It's like he's a couple years behind as far as the hairstyle he's rocking. It's that spiked up kind of back, like back of the head look. But then like a long, uh, sad flap up front. We're way out of our depth here. But or I am. No, least. you're right. It is. But it is dated. very much what people consider the sad flap. And I feel like this was already a little bit lame at this time. It was. It was. And and it's yeah, it just it looks kind of like how everyone came out of the pandemic looking, whereas like no one got a haircut for a year and it right. and for most people it was like not that great. Yeah. Well, quick interjection, my yes, uh, hairstyle that I was rocking due to uh the you know, not being able to get my hairstyle with or my hairstyle, my haircut with the same frequency. I leaned into it after a few months and said that I was growing out my Michael Landon hairdo. And yeah, I liked uh, it. <laughs> I liked it too. Uh, my wife did not love it, but uh, <laughs> Michael Landon plays Pa in Little House on the Prairie. And everyone's going, oh, my, of course I know him now. Yeah. But yes, uh, 70s actor, um, very kind of fluffy David Hasselhoff type hair. <laughs> Yes, kind of a a blowout. <laughs> yeah, and Zach, and Zach has really nice thick hair. I'm sure I I feel like I mentioned that like every other episode because I'm so cool with it and not bothered by it. Uh, <laughs> you know how you can tell somebody's yeah. like not uh you know annoyed I mean, or jealous about something because they mention it all the time. You sold it really well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I think the in rainbow is. It's slash bad. hail to the thief is is, mm-hmm. is a tough is a tough era and you know what this really reminds me of and i i don't think that we need to ma- name any names because i feel mm-hmm. like you'll know who i'm talking about is this reminds me very specifically of a good friend of ours like teenage girlfriend's hairstyle hmm. okay. like this to me looks like this is like what sort of like punk and emo adjacent yeah. young women were mm-hmm. getting in Grass Valley mm-hmm. in like the earlier 2000s than this. So I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what was going on with Tom at this time, but well, I feel like mm-hmm. he wasn't not trying to be cool. And uh, and that <laughs> makes this one kind of bother me. Do you know what's interesting, though? Because, I mean, we can definitely, you know, go in ascending order. Uh, uh, but just to kind of dovetail off of that, uh, I and I gestured at this at, um, gosh, our, our Hail the Thief episode is two and a half hours. So for those of you that made it through, I, I talked about that uh, from a style perspective and the way they were dressing and all that, and that Radiohead seemed to maybe be sort of participating a little bit more in what was happening in music and fashion than I'd seen in other eras. And I realized how naive that could sound because you look at photos of him from the Benz and Pablo Honey, and for sure he is partaking in what was popular at the time, but not really after that. I think during the OK Computer and Kid 
uh, Kid A and Amnesiac albums. It's like he's doing his own thing. We'll get to that in a second. But Hail the Thief, like he has sort of that long like rat's tail that was really popular and then really long on on top, but like very distinctly short on the sides. And I know that sounds like a haircut, but just look up some photos and we'll obviously post this one. I feel like in Rainbows continued that for like photo shoots mm-hmm. and 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 then he slipped back into uh you know his own seemingly original styles but i just kind of wanted to p- point that out there's one photo shoot of them from spin magazine where i'm like uh oh you know uh like <laughs> you know uh one member i think it's ed has his hair dyed and i actually really like the band my chemical romance but it's it's interesting that i'm like man like uh, you know, Radiohead is not impenetrable, <laughs> you know? That's no. All. And I think my chemical romance, it's like a band like that is doing something that is lends itself better to kind yeah. of like giant swings fashion wise. Right. Yeah. Because it's really leaning into a very theatrical overall presentation. Mm-hmm. Like Radiohead is kind of, you, you know, for all intents and purposes, Radiohead is is appearing as more like less try. They're less try hard in their mm-hmm. vibe, and mm-hmm. so when I see Tom with this uh, emo girl haircut, there you go, there you go. In, in two thousand eight, it's it's a little bit like uh, it's humanizing. I'll say mm-hmm. that. Now, Zach, I'm realizing since we each had a different low one, mm-hmm. I think that maybe we should just kind of move in tiers of like okay. worst, middling, and then our top. So I, I think that the low end we can safely say is Pablo Honey and Hail to the Thief up through in Rainbows is kind of yes, the low Yes, we're in end. total agreement on that. Absolutely. Okay. I dig that. So what what... What are the looks that are kind of coming in the in the mid range for you of Tom York's hair throughout the years? The mid range would be I feel inert about OK Computer. I really admire that he um, rocked essentially a buzz cut when he has yeah. such great hair for growing out long. Now, if that's your favorite, you know we could totally focus in on that. But I really like uh, Kid A and Amnesiac um, period because it is a little bit longer. You know, he he has really good like hair to like style and spike, even if it's not that long, you know, but it mm-hmm. just seemed like, you know, as much as we were talking about that, like Radiohead, maybe not as theatrical as a band like My Chemical Romance or or even Nirvana, who was before them. But like their whole focus was that they so reject fashion. But the thing I like about Radiohead in this era in particular is like, yeah, like, you know, cool, like um, jogger, like vest or not vest, uh, but like sweater or something like that when you see him on stage. But the focus is seemingly so much on the music and and also so challenging. And it, it works in very nice contrast to how much the music grabs your attention. And Tom York and Johnny Greenwood and really the whole band are unique looking, unique looking people. But I like it because it's not a total buzz cut. And, and he just looks like more of a man, to be honest with you. Tom York, as we talked about, is a shorter in stature guy, but he's growing like a really good five o'clock shadow. It's not a complete buzz cut. So I would say that that is like high mid-tier for me. What about Kid A Amnesiac is the mid-tier for you? Yeah. The high end of the mid-tier? Yes. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, I want to just say in the – so the middle for me is going to take up most of – because I only have one top. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the middle is going to take up kind of everything else that's on the table here for me. But I do want to give a special shout-out to his look during the bends. Yes. Now, this is not what I would call a flattering look. Mm-hmm. 
But I do like, so he's got his hair dyed red, orange, mm-hmm. and it's like gelled up kind of faux hawk spiky. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this is a great look for him. I think it's specific to this era for a reason, but I do like kind of where I don't really appreciate the swing that he's taking in, in rainbows. I kind of, with this one, I'm like, yeah, go ahead. You little weirdo. Like, (laughs) yeah, well, he's cause in the Pablo honey picture we referenced, he, uh, it's like Kurt Cobain, does that quite well tom you don't need to do it you know the long bleach blonde hair even though i know kurt cobain was a natural blonde in this one it's like billy joe armstrong's got that base cover don't worry about it <laughs> you know, right right hair. yeah <laughs> totally so. it's interesting and it's it it does kind of play into something that we talked about a lot during this era of mm-hmm. how radiohead is kind of perceived too is a lot of it is like oh, they're stuck up or they're snotty or whatever. But I, I I kind of have always vehemently defended them as just more punk in their ethic mm-hmm. than anything else. Mm-hmm. And so I like seeing Tom reflect that in his look a little bit here. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really kind of, this is like actually a very like Johnny Rotten ass look. Absolutely. So that one is in the middle, but gets a special shout out. The other kind of middle looks for me are King of Limbs up through a moon-shaped pool. So kind of leading us up to like current day Tom York, which is basically just that he's grown his beard out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's salt and, he's older. It's salt and pepper. That's a good look. His mm-hmm. hair is shoulder length now. Mm-hmm. Um, King of Limbs. Kind of John gets, Lennon-y a little bit. Yeah, very much so. And it's just, yeah. you know, it's like a cool look for an aging rocker. Uh, Absolutely. If I, if I had his hair, I could see doing something like that with it. It's not styled any particularly notable way. He just has long hair. King of Limbs gets a slight knock for this being Tom York's hat era, mm-hmm. which uh, I... It's kind of like a bowler hat, and I'm glad that he's not doing that anymore. I love everything besides the hat. I love the ch- shirt choices. I love the hairstyle. I'm sorry. I'm I, you, you, but no, please, no. I don't be sorry. This is. I I want to know your favorite so bad. I'm apologizing to myself. I, I do not <laughs> want a monologue about Tom York's hat. I'd much rather have a conversation about Tom. York's I know. Hat. I just. <laughs> but I just think it's funny though that it's like that he tried to become a hat guy for a little bit. I know. It's like leave that to Ed. <laughs> exactly totally it's just like it's just weird that like it's just you know what well, i'm gonna try a hat for a little while mm-hmm. and it, it did not stick because Mm-mm. i see no evidence of tom york being a hat guy before or after the king of limbs no not at all maybe he wanted the king of limbs originally was like let's call it the king of hats and then the <laughs> king of limbs <laughs> 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 That's the stupidest fucking album name I've ever heard. <laughs> okay, computer. Try that one again. Not King of Crowds. Uh, King that's of pretty bad, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, which, which my next middle leads us into our favorite. So I would say I would also put the okay computer look in the middling era but at the top of the middle because it leads me so as you said he he, he basically has a crew cut mm-hmm. during okay computer um mm-hmm. which again i don't think is the most flattering look on tom but it is a 
st- an early step in my favorite mm-hmm. look, which is definitely the Kid A and Amnesia era. Wow, we agree again. <laughs> yeah, we really do. And this is my favorite look because A, this is, as we've talked about a lot, this is where Tom finally comes out of his shell as a front man. Mm-hmm. We begin to see uh, Tommy Dancer likes mm-hmm. to start dancing around. He's doing more songs where during the live performance, he's just singing and having to keep the energy up through his, mm-hmm. you know, movements and stage presence. But what I think is so cool about his kid a look is it's probably the most like quote unquote normal kind of mm-hmm. conservative look that he's ever had. Mm-hmm. And it's when they're making what is arguably the weirdest music yeah. they made during their whole career. Often he was just in like a plain black t-shirt during this mm-hmm. time. Or an Atari and this, t-shirt, which I love. Oh, he was, that's funny. That's very I didn't hipster. Know that. Yeah, and very, some very famous live performances. But Johnny Greenwood also uh, very famous for wearing the same t-shirt during every tour. So hopefully, God willing, he has multiple of that t-shirt. But Johnny Greenwood also notable shout out uh, during this period. I love his look. Um, and the shirt he was wearing in particular, you know, that picture I drew of Johnny where it's the yellow shirt. Yes, I that's sure from do. This era. That's from this era as well. Oh, well, th- did I send you the meme that I saw, uh, on Twitter that I, I would not know how to find it now, but it was like mm-hmm. Radiohead styles throughout the years. Mm-hmm. And it shows all these different haircuts mm-hmm. of Tom mm-hmm. and then next <laughs> to it and every single one, it's the same picture of Johnny with his yeah. hair hanging over his eyes <laughs> where you can't see his yeah. face. Yeah. yeah like yeah. Johnny, you know, may or may not change his t-shirt once in a while, but the dude has mm-hmm. been rocking the same hair the whole time. And mm-hmm. Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I know our ladies were really appreciating it. <laughs> right. But yeah, no, I think that also this kid, a era look of Tom where his hair is basically short, and spiky, but not gelled. And he has a, a short beard. Um, I think that, and he's like, I said, he's in jeans and a, and a t-shirt. If, if not an mm-hmm. Atari shirt, one with no logo at all. Mm-hmm. I think that this might be another kind of intentional mimicry of what we know is one of their favorite rock and roll influences, the talking heads mm-hmm. who really, really kind of led the way on this kind of norm core movement mm-hmm. that we've had in the last decade where, mm-hmm. you know, if you watch stop making sense or whatever, they all wear um, like polo shirts. Mm-hmm. Like they all look like they're wearing like work uniforms. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's a really cool aesthetic for kind of like what I think are widely considered to be stranger bands appearing very very conservative and normal so that's Mm -hmm. definitely my favorite tom york look and uh i can see why he's not doing it now i think it would Mm -hmm. like like you know now he's like in his he'd look too much like a dad you know (laughs) i think so yeah yeah he's He's like gotta have some edge as he gets older exactly yeah like it's like he'd have his shirt tucked in and (laughs) it's like a, a belt very high up on his waist but yeah, for this time, it 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 really is really cool. And watching them do like an onstage freak out of Idiotech with this look mm-hmm. just is a very nice aesthetic for me. Yeah. And gosh, I hate to call attention to it again, but I might be wrong. A listener's popped into YouTube live of them uh, playing it on Jules Holland, not, not in Paris. Uh, that's where Tom's wearing the Atari t-shirt. Johnny Greenwood is wearing the patented yellow t-shirt with a, like a little character on it. 
and and uh yeah and it really just speaks to what walker and, and i think we're both just saying with like different wording is that like it works in such a wonderful contrast to the music and i might be wrong is maybe not as as uh, much of a uh unconventional song maybe as idiotech but it is them um it is a very incredible performance of an incredible song and and it's nice that those things kind of are working in inverse of one another you know there's less fashion and style emphasis completely and yet like because of that it kind of makes the the performance which is already sensational more incredible that like these 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 men these young men at this point you know late 20s early 30s are capable of of creating such you know wonder you know it's it's incredible yeah and it's adding a nice layer of irony to like their performances Absolutely. around this time, which I which I really enjoy. It's nice. Yeah. It's always fun when somebody subverts your expectations of what kind of mm-hmm. art or performance they're going to give based on how you've judged them on their looks. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you saw Tom York around this time and looked at him, you would not expect what he was about to do. Yeah, no, no, very well said. Couldn't Whereas uh, at the just... in Rainbow's era, I feel like you would expect like, oh, I'm about to hear some sad songs on the guitar. Yes, but what's so interesting is like in all the press material and stuff around that era, he looks like he's two years too late. But then <laughs> in like Scotch Mist, though, he's rocking the, the Kid A and Amnesiac era look again. He's got a stubble, short hair, looks great. So I don't really know what was going on there, you know? <laughs> Maybe this is just like a, like, I feel like... He has extensions of like two inches. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like trends or maybe uh, fashion trends are on a little bit of a delay over to England. So maybe this is. Yeah, that's how it's worked historically. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Zach, I think that was great. That was the definitive ranking of Tom York's hair throughout the years. Yes, but can I just give a notable shout out, though? No, I'm sorry. To my favorite, my second favorite era. Yes. Uh, I oh, I'm just sorry. Say, did we not? Did we not do all yours? I apologize. Yeah, I did yes. upper mid tier, but my I would say my favorite era. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm what, just you gonna get your number one. St- I would just say uh, Moon Shape Pool. It's it's not. It doesn't have sure. um like the the hat vibe. I think during our our episode on the King of Limbs when we were talking about the Lotus Flower video, I was like, I really like it. And I thought maybe there's a sense of irony with the hat. I would walk those comments back and say that it's it's meant to be taken (laughs) seriously. Um, But I think everything else he's got going on dress wise, you know, fashion wise is really cool. And I like his hairstyle, but yeah, I just feel like, and this is right in line with conversations we've had with guests and I won't get into a moon shape pool, but I really like it because he is, you know, in an older era, but I really like the shoulder length hair. And I think it is sort of back to a little bit of more stripped down back to basics. I love his current look with all the beaded bracelets and like the, all the clothes I wish I could afford and and pull off. But I I really do like the basic, he could have bought those clothes at urban outfitters or JC Penny, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I like that as a number one. I do think like present day Tom is, is, uh, well, that's honorable mention. I would say, I would say actually Kitty and Amnesiac is probably my top. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So we, I, I, okay. I like that. But yeah, a moon shaped pool, definitely up there. Just had to put the hat aside. You know, you just reminded me of an anecdote from our, uh, childhood that I don't know if mm. I have ever shared with you. No. But do you remember in 1990? Well, I know you remember this. In 1997, uh, we all went to, we all being a big extended family trip, our grandmother took the family to Disneyland and Universal mm-hmm. Studios. 
Uh-huh. And so it, at Universal Studios, I was like determined to be bought something, basically. And I see Ollie do this all the time, my, my mm-hmm. nine-year-old son, where it's just like you're having some experience as a kid and you know you like want to get something, mm-hmm. but you like don't have the foresight to admit that like this token is going to be completely meaningless to you in like a matter of moments, <laughs> yeah. you know, which is which is a reason that I give my son an allowance, um, mm-hmm. n- you know, not a huge amount of money each week or whatever, but if he mm-hmm. and I, I still buy him stuff, but mm-hmm. I kind of have to be able to make a judgment call that the thing I'm spending money on for you mm-hmm. is going to have some inherent use or value beyond mm-hmm. the high of you receiving this piece of crap, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so definitely. if he's just like, I want a thing, then I'm like, okay, well you can spend your money on that. And I'll say, I would not advise spending your money mm-hmm. on that, but you are, you are free to spend your money on it, you know? Mm-hmm. So a very common, I think human impulse that is especially, especially heightened at childhood. Yeah. Where it's just like, Oh, I just, you know, buy me some crap. Right. Well, dude, and those environments, I mean, it's like sell, sell, sell the shiniest, nicest looking crap too. Right. But like, I'm, so I'm like a young, well, let's see in 1997, I'm 11. So, right. So I'm like past, I'm not really like looking for a toy or something Mm -hmm. like that. So the thing that I landed on that I convinced mom and dad to buy me was, do you remember, (laughs) (laughs) do you remember in the, around this time when people would sometimes wear like cat in the hat hats? Yes. Absolutely. Like a long floppy top hat. Mm-hmm. And I yes. feel like it was kind wow. of like a I think it was something that kind of came from like rave culture and like yeah. kind of techno culture like uh-huh. type of a thing. Yes, definitely. But so or like they were yeah, like, like slash or something too, but like a really dumb version of it. Right. But these were like super cheap, like I like do, kinda, I do remember this, yes. Yeah. And do you remember the thing that I got? Uh, was it like a birthday cake hat or something like that? No, it was one of these giant hats with <laughs> like a, you know, like a um, like a barbershop quartet bill that goes around the whole head mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> a giant top. And it had pictures of like an alien on it. Oh, and, yes. And I like bugged mom and dad i first of all i don't know how i i know that i didn't have money to buy this thing and Mm -hmm. i know that i got it so i must Mm -hmm. have somehow talked mom and dad into this being like my souvenir from the trip Mm -hmm. and (laughs) i remember and i'm gonna name her name because i think this story shines more flatteringly on her than me our aunt michelle I had bought this thing and was like already in the process of like convincing myself that this was a good decision. (laughs) You know, it's like, I think I got it and was like immediately like losing confidence in the purchase. And, and I put it on and our aunt goes, I guarantee you will never wear that once <laughs> after today <laughs> and and i was like yes i i'm told it's, i think it's cool <laughs> you're not right like, was, yeah exactly and guess what 
she was. That thing moved around our bedroom mm-hmm. to various locations in the closet mm-hmm. for you know the rest of the time that I lived at home. I don't think that there was ever an occasion where I had the audacity to try to pull that hat off. No. And I literally only got it because it was like, I have to buy something. Well, that is an amazing story. And, and uh, I, I completely forgot about it. But <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, there's a lot of lessons in there and a funny story. I just would like to quickly tell you and the listeners, um, and this is, is topical both to Walker's story and also to our podcast, um, because it involves Batman. So on that trip, Walker is three years older than me. So I was uh, seven or eight years old. I don't know at what point in the year we went. But I got um, this small book that I still have to this day um, of every issue of the comic Batman that had been released up through that point. And it was just, it, and it wasn't the entire issue. It would be the cover of each of every issue that had ever been released. Oh, yeah. And I so remember that book. Yeah. So I still have that. It's really, really cool. It's not collectible or anything like that but it's just like something that's kind of gone with me everywhere and i also got uh, a mug uh, like a coffee mug that had a, a version of old style you know 1940s 1930s 40s mickey and it was really really cool and i i wanted it so bad and i'm a sucker for really like cozy nice mugs with like artwork on them now and it's just funny to think about that like that appealed to me so viscerally and so much as a kid but i don't have it any longer but the fact that you have the Batman book to mm-hmm. me is like, I cannot think of a better distillation of the difference in our maturity levels that you <laughs> like managed to purchase something as an eight year old that has resonated with you to this day. And I purchased a hat that I was embarrassed to be wearing out of the shop that I bought. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna. It's just like breathe. you're. So, <laughs> so I, it's, I'm so. You are so much better at like at the, uh taking a wide view of your life, <laughs> and I am just all about like instant gratification, and I feel that 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 tendency has followed us into adulthood. <laughs> so well done, Zach. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Um, <laughs> so we cut. So yeah, that that thus concludes uh, our hairstyle <laughs> discussion of Tom York. Right? I think- <laughs> yeah, I think we did it. Well, I have something to show you that. Okay. I, like I said, so Zach is not now. I know Zach is more on social media now. I don't know if it, you're okay with the listeners knowing that you are sometimes the yeah. the the man behind our Instagram account. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, I identify myself so anyone who's reaching out knows who they're talking to. <laughs> so, yeah, Fair enough. Down. Okay, so Zach is, but but Zach is much less online than I yes, am. Correct. So I am kind of hoping that this has not crossed your desk. But even if it mm-hmm. has, I think we'll get a kick out of listening to it. Zach, okay. are you? Does the name, the username? Uh, <clears throat> now this is you know at the time we're recording this on February twenty second. This mm-hmm. is already about a month old that this came out, but I do think that it is important enough that it demands some coverage on Idiotalk. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of the online composer on four word? That's O N no. number four W O R D. <clears throat> no. Do the words in Rainbow Roads mean in- anything to you? No, I don't believe okay. so. 
Well, then you are in for a treat. So some hero out there mm-hmm. behind the online username on forward has recreated the Radiohead album in rainbows in its entirety, the entire 43 mm-hmm. minutes using only sounds from Super Mario 64. Oh, wow. Oh, my Lord. So it's every file <laughs> used to create the soundtrack on that. And How then, is that possible? Well, <clears throat> well okay, I, think I guess I'll find people, out. <laughs> well, I, that's a good question. I mean, I think that there are basically hacks of, you know, the same way people create beats or whatever by isolating the soundboard sounds from different albums and stuff like that. I think people have synthesized the the same like MIDI programs or synth pro- synth sounds from, you know, these video games. Well, yeah. But uh, the reason why I said, how's that possible is the spectrum of sounds. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, that's just my ignorance speaking. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's a good, uh, yeah. In terms yeah. of like recreating it, I, I, I've been thinking about that too. I mean, he must have like, written out all the musical annotation of yeah. in rainbows because you hear every every melody every sound you know every ed texture mm-hmm. every vocal right. riff improvisation yeah. is accounted for um now this got a fit my twitter algorithm basically knows to show me every single time somebody mentions either Radiohead or The Sopranos. Right. So that's like kind of all I see. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but according to my feed, this like, I think did get a fair amount of attention online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he's done other individual Radiohead songs before. I had actually heard him before. Uh, my friend and I think sometimes listener of the show, Eric Krasner, sent mm-hmm. me this guy's N64 cover of Paranoid Android a while ago. That 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 sounds cool. Yeah, it sounds insane. Um, but this version of In Rainbows <laughs> okay. is is new, and mm-hmm. it got enough attention online that Johnny Greenwood himself tweeted wow. out a link to it. Wow! With the tweet, uh, he said, "It's a me arpeggio," and tweeted out a link to the. Mario N64 cover. Are you shitting me? Now I have to contend with a charismatic and funny Johnny Greenwood. His hair flips enough were enough to drive the ladies wild. Yeah. I don't know if that's that funny. I well, okay. It's funny for him, and it's also charismatic to be like, hey, I'm kind of good at stuff. You know, not not in a way where he's self-adulating at all. (laughs) He has a sense of... Right. Imagine if this guy did this to a Pink Floyd album and, like, Roger Waters would be coming out going, like, I'm going to sue you into oblivion. Oh, wait, it's me. I'll sue myself because I'm a fucking idiot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I I keyed up for us my two favorite of the covers on... Oh, I'd love to to hear it. Now, this is a song Zach has called his favorite Radiohead song, Jigsaw Mm -hmm. Falling Into Place. Let's see if he likes the N64 version of it even more than the Radiohead version. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I I picture Mario in the bowels of the castle with like the lava. (laughs) This is... This is why oh my this is my, my favorite. Because this, this so one good. works. 
This yes. one, to me, out of all of them, works the best as video game music. I, I also picture him just, like, stopped. Because, and, like, me just wanted to listen to the song while he just sits there going like this. <laughs> right. Like, while his, like, ca- character bounces up and down. <laughs> Zach's, Zach's mouth is a gape, listeners. Oh, my God. I Isn't this awesome? It. <laughs> so good. Oh, my God. Oh, I know. I you kind of just want to let it go, right? <laughs> this is so good. Oh, my God. right so obviously no vocals but it it gets the vocal melody oh my god this nuts this This is great yeah now (laughs) i I don't know how long we just want to let it play the Uh, one thing is i i will tell you one thing i I will be listening to this afterwards so it's okay yeah in rainbows roads um let's Let's let it just kick into one more big part. We'll let it kick into that breakdown and then fade out. Yeah, the chorus, right? There's no chorus. Famously, no chorus. Here here we go, right here. Oh, wow. And then the backing vocals. Actually, yeah. No, I wanted to do the uh, the beat goes round and round. That's my favorite yeah. part. Beat goes round. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that. I mean, it's pretty oh amazing. Right? That was so good. Yeah, Can I hear the I, first like ten seconds of body statues, please? Do you have that or no? Oh, uh, I don't have that up? pulled up. Okay, okay, okay. No worries, no worries. I'll listen um, to it on my own. I promise. <laughs> the whole thing is worth listening. I mean, I I didn't listen. I I'll be honest. I did not listen to it in its entirety, but I listened to a little bit of each song. I'm gonna hop just around. to hear how it translates. And Jigsaw to me just stood out as the one where I'm like, this sounds mm-hmm. the most like it was designed to be in a video game. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Now I mean, the one makes sense. The other one that I pulled up does not at all sound like it would be in a video game, but it just okay. is the one that I thought. Well, I'll just play it. This is this is the In Rainbows Roads version of videotape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't picture the. No, this would not be in a video game. But what stood out to me about this is how beautiful I still find it. It it sounds like a soundtrack to a movie made in 1987, though. Now. Yes, well, you know what it sounds like. It sounds like <laughs> Princess Bride. <laughs> the, the, the steel drum sound for the vocals is kind of a crack up. <laughs> everything, like it's really oh funny how God. like everything is very like tropical. Hilarious. Yes, but I still think it's really beautiful and sad and it reminds me of a couple different things it reminds me of um the soundtrack work of angelo valadementi who did like he just passed away but he did all of david lynch's stuff Uh, uh he did all of david lynch's stuff and uh Oh, yes, uh, he just 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 passed away, huh? Just passed away, and most notably yes. did the Twin Peaks theme. Mm-hmm. 
But everything that he did is like these really beautiful melodies, but played on very like 80s sounding Mm -hmm. kind of instruments. And it also reminds me of a soundtrack to like an early Miyazaki film or something. Oh, what very good call. Very much this so. This reminds me of like Totoro. Yeah. Or any of them, honestly. I mean, maybe yeah. not like Spirited Away, but like some of the more kind of out there, like Hell's Moving Castle, I could see maybe. Yes. And I also feel that what both of these prove, like, look, am I going to pretend that I like either of these like better oh, than this. the yeah okay so i'm not gonna like pretend i think these are as good or better than the radiohead versions of the right. songs but i do think they go a long way to kind of proving my off bandied about theory that if you have a good enough song mm-hmm. you can put it through whatever kind of filter you want and it's still going to translate as good there's something sure. about this videotape that still gets me a little bit misty mm-hmm. even though it's all n64 sounds and there's something about the jigsaw that still very pumps me yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's just hear it kick in here. Yeah. I like that snare sound, too. Yeah, th- I think this one maybe, even though the tempo's the same, it would probably be really difficult to do that elongated snare hit that they do. So it yeah. seems like it has a little bit more of a driving bite to it, which I really like. I- not I more think than it the compensates song, by <laughs> doing more snare hits. Yeah, it's cool. Like it's going. Yeah. I don't know. I really like this. Yeah. Well, anyway, so listeners, go check out the whole thing of In Rainbows Roads if you have it. But uh, Zach's face, facial expressions during that were very worth uh, showing it to him. Well, yeah, and it's interesting too because it's like. What that reminded me of is what you said, that a good song is a good song and a clever melody and all that, like through different instrumentation or in this case sounds or whatever. It it also makes me think of, you know, that made me laugh a lot because I was thinking of the the song as my reference point. And then I obviously am familiar with those sounds and just all the, the cultural information around it. It's just laughter is kind of a natural reaction. And then again, there are also bands. There's an instrumental uh, two-piece, Ratatat, that I love. And they are an example of when I listen to Ratatat's music, it's great to run to. Um, and I just love Ratatat a lot. And they are a band too, that are very hands-on in their approach, but also very loop driven, but phenomenal, phenomenal musicians. And they straddle this really interesting line where they're incorporating a lot of like sounds that could be thought of as humorous, but for some, for whatever reason, I really take their music I think as seriously as they want their fans to. Would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know. It's just, it's just an interesting thing. Like, I don't know where that line is, you know, to, to achieve that. I'm sure some folks listen to Ratatat and giggle and think it's stupid, but like it, and it's, it's, uh, it's all instrumental music, but anyways, that's kind of all I had on that. Just, I get that. No, that totally. Uh, and Ratatat also will kind of build a really driving beat around a very pretty melody like that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, especially that last one. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's that. That was great. Now, Zach, something that we have referenced a lot is talking about the solo projects of The Handsome Man and The Bald King. Mm-hmm. And by those people, I mean Ed O'Brien, The Handsome mm-hmm. Man. And the bald king, of course, is Phil Selway, the mm-hmm. only openly bald 
member of Radiohead, <laughs> and I say open. <laughs> no, yeah, because Nigel is not out of the closet. <laughs> no, he's not. No, you have to be looking at him from behind to know that right. this man is as bald as the Dickens. Yes. But if you're just looking at the front, you're like, oh, what a nice set of spikes you got going on there. But mm-hmm. doesn't nice tell the whole job. story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a real, it's a real, um, <laughs> tuck and tape. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, it's a real, uh, house of cards situation. The whole thing could come tumbling down with a stiff breeze. Um, but so, Zach, what I did here is I picked a song from, mm-hmm. Both of the most recent solo albums from Phil and Ed. Now, Phil has two full-length mm-hmm. solo LPs. Mm-hmm. Ed only has one. Ed's yes. first and heretofore only solo album came out in 2020. Great year. Great year. Yeah, great <laughs> year. Yeah, I wonder how we found the time. Ed just would have a solo album. It'd be like, I'm going to tour this thing. It's all going to go great. <laughs> you know, yeah, people, look... People want to racistly blame the coronavirus pandemic on China. What mm-hmm. they don't know, it was actually Ed's solo album that caused <laughs> yeah. the yeah, worldwide exactly. pandemic. Is people heard it, they got sick and didn't want to mm-hmm. go outside anymore. Mm-hmm. I kid the handsome man because I love him. Because Zach, oh, what absolutely. actually I'm about to tell you is I have not heard either of these songs that I'm about to play you. I okay. uploaded them. I did hear opening notes just to make sure that they did upload. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But what I did was I picked the most listened to sure. song of Phil and Ed on Apple Music and uploaded mm-hmm. each of those. So this is the top hit for both of them. So I feel like we're really giving them a chance to impress us by like, mm-hmm. this is when people think of the solo music of Phil or Ed, this is what they go to. Right. And so I think we'll just listen to them and give mm-hmm. our honest reactions. Absolutely. I, Would I, you I like to hear Ed or Phil first? I want to go Ed first. Okay. So Ed's solo project is called Ed OB. Or I'm sorry. Ed's solo project is called EOB. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar with that much at least. He should have called it me. <laughs> or just what about just Ed? I think that would also be great. <laughs> or what about Mr. Ed? Ooh. Cause did you know that that's actually how a lot of people know that, you know, animals in Hollywood productions, mm-hmm. uh, I think there's an argument still maybe like not as much oversight in that part of the industry as there could be, but definitely in the past not treated well and mr mm-hmm. ed the horse they made it look like he was talking by constantly having peanut butter in his mouth mm-hmm. right so the i don't like the horse would right yeah it's i mean even if peanut butter Unless is a treat, horses it just seems, love peanut butter but i bet they like it but it just seems like kind of like psychological torture to me to yeah, have an animal like for you know a 12-hour shoot having <laughs> right. something stuck in its teeth yeah totally and that's how they made it look like the horse was talking. Now, people don't know the way Radiohead makes it look like Ed is mm. playing is they put peanut butter all over mm-hmm. the strings of his guitar mm-hmm. and he is just he's just trying to wipe off mm-hmm. the peanut butter. Mm-hmm. And so it looks like he's strumming or doing a dry mm-hmm. strum. That's just him being driven mad by the mm-hmm. the uh 
the thick gelatinous sticky peanut butter that's mm-hmm. all over his guitars that are not even actually plugged in. So even if he was yeah. making noise on it, it wouldn't come through. And and Ed does have a lot of guitars too. One might even say more guitars and more guitar techs uh, than Johnny Greenwood. And, and I've always been a little confused by that. It's because, you know, <laughs> the guitar tech is coming out, giving him a new guitar with, it's usually like, um, very like it's like kind of food that you can like put like food safe spray paint over so that's uh-huh. why it blends into his guitar always uh you know ed's a creamy guy he's not a chunky guy so it that's kind of why <laughs> listeners have never noticed that is that it's camouflaged peanut butter it, and also the way he's like will occasionally strum or like look excited uh kind of like when you have a laser for a cat and it'll be get really excited and get it and then it'll be like kind of forget about it that's sort of like ed's posture with the peanut butter a little bit i feel like Right. Yeah. He's it's yes, right. He, he, <laughs> oh, that was right. <laughs> no, it's all correct. It's it's okay. it's a it's a dog chasing its own tail. It's never yes. gonna catch it and it wouldn't know what to do if it did. No, yeah. No. Or maybe to change the metaphor slightly, it's like if Ed ever had a guitar that turned on, it would be the dog that caught the car. You know? Yes. <laughs> it would it would just be like, well now what? So with that very flattering intro, let's play (laughs) a little bit of the solo music of Ed O'Brien under his artist moniker of EOB, which I got to say, I actually think is kind of cool. I like that, too. Um, And this is the number one played Ed O'Brien song on Apple Music. This is Shangri-La. Oh, there's there's, there's that shaker. <laughs> Take it. He loves it. I wasn't being competitive. I was just excited. He hasn't gotten to hasn't gotten to dust this thing off since Paranoid Android. This is my Ed move. Oh, okay. This is already good. very different than I expected. It seems. Wow, he's really. I like his singing a lot. Well, we know he's a really good singer. Yeah, but this, yeah, I just, I like this. This is cool. This is dope. Several part harmony going on. Wow, I hear. fucking cool i I'm like this this. <laughs> yeah, this is rad. Yeah, we're being so we've stopped making fun of ed to just appreciate <laughs> his music i'm hearing an amalgamation of uh, obviously a lot of radiohead noises and melody but not i'm not saying it's derivative but a lot of other stuff too i i'm hearing very talking heads in its loop yes. and groove but i like that it came in doing something very like major key and bright mm-hmm. but the vocals he's doing over it is like I feel like he's singing in more of like a minor key or like kind of like picking darker harmonies to go with right yeah th- I mean th- I'm really or he's kind of like doing like a blue going. scale on top of this very whoa Okay, I don't like this at all. Well, not at all. I I'm not as into this. This is not maybe the direction I wanted this to go. No, I, I wanted it to kind of stay. 
Now it's a little more in like this is like a little more of like a Damon Albarn like kind of like blur yeah. gorillas type of vibe. Yeah. But listen, hey, I like his voice. It's interesting to hear his voice decoupled from singing with Tom. Yeah. His high I register. I like this. I, I, it could have, because now there's a good, another guitar track. I, it would have been fine to add that. I didn't need the da na 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 but I really I think like if you're going to kick in with the heavy distorted guitar and bass like that, you need you need to kick in with some real drums. Yeah. Or just something heavier percussion wise. But already I, I I think we joked that it's like an Ed solo album is just all tree fingers. I actually did think that it, this would be less pop vocal music and more yeah. just like Brian Eno style ambient noise ah Ed I mean I don't you know I would say that this doesn't bother me but this just sounds kind of generic whereas the rest of the song it sounds very is blur. actually Damon Albarn was in blur right yeah or no blur uh, yeah it yeah. sounds yeah, yeah. so which I don't you know Let's go crazy because it's 1995. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. <laughs> Can I tell you what? Okay, but I, I like this bass line mixing in. I love this. I love this. what's going on now, though. I just don't like the chorus. What were you going to say, though? Well, I want to hear where it, where it finishes. I'll save that. I'm cool with this. This is fine. Oh, very Radiohead to creep back with those white vocals. This is, yeah, this is great. Now, how do you think he tricked Tom and Johnny and Colin and Phil into playing all the instruments on God this. damn it. You stole my joke. <laughs> Is that what you were going to say? Yes. <laughs> and he's like, now, Tom, you, I need you to disguise your voice slightly when you do these lead vocals. Oh, see, I, I was going to say he does the lead vocals, but all the other cool atmospheric shit <laughs> was Nigel. And the, no, he's and not radio. doing anything. He's not singing. He's not playing. Well, no, we talked about the shaker. <laughs> He's doing the shaker. Yeah, but if he didn't recruit other musicians, the, the yeah, album would be all shaker. Him. Yeah. Okay, I think I get the idea. Yeah, okay. Don't know if it needs to be this long. That's Shangri-La. That's Shangri-La by EOB. Do we need to eat our words about the handsome man here? <laughs> we need to eat our butts. EOBs. Um, I thought <laughs> that it was going to be atmospheric tree fingers type stuff. Not not that exactly. I did not know it was going to have that level of musicality. And I really liked the layering. But yes, I mean, like I said, you brilliantly <laughs> said what I was going to jokingly say before. Um, <laughs> it's Ed O'Brien featuring Radiohead on this song. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing if he yeah. actually put that on the liner like featuring Radiohead yeah, or like, no if he didn't feature Radiohead but featuring Tom York Johnny Greenwood <laughs> yeah, Colin exactly. Greenwood Phil yeah. Selway and 
and Clive Dreamer and Nigel Godrich. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be so funny. I mean, I gotta say, I think that it's like it's not surprising that like an Ed O'Brien kind of bedroom project would mm-hmm. sound that professional. And mm-hmm. um, I'm not surprised that he has the ability to very tastefully and nicely layer a lot of vocals and, uh, you know, guitar and bass sounds like that all mm-hmm. seems in line with his contributions to Radiohead. What I am surprised by, what I feel like we have never gotten a hint of, I guess we don't get a hint of this from anyone, but Tom is the the sense for melody that is on Mm -hmm. display there. Like, it's like, okay, Ed's got some, Ed's got some tunes. I didn't know that. I don't know what it's like to, to, I mean, obviously, but I, I don't know. And I, and uh, this is a serious statement. I don't know what it's like to be, contributing to and around uh, i mean there's a reason that tom and johnny are the leaders of the band and i get the sense that a lot of the very dissonant melody that tom will pick his vocal spots on is a tom york thing and i there's got to be some, there's something that happens when listening to that kind of music as i have for you know a decade and a half and i'm not a songwriter and i and i don't try to write radiohead songs when i have but there is something that happens to your desire to make melody interesting and your ear for melody. And that's just as a listener, as a consumer of music that's interesting. I got to say, I think for Ed, like you wouldn't want to write a boring pop song, which that song was not, you know, it had parts I didn't like, but I, I can only imagine since Ed is a great musician and a part of that band, you know, and I don't, I'm not trying to say that like Tom is so, so superior. He's obviously the better musician and songwriter, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I do hear that, but it wasn't derivative. It was cool. And I, I just wonder where, if Ed O'Brien got a solo career not having been in Radiohead, how interesting it would have been as opposed to the exposure he's gotten, both participating in and being, you know, around somebody at the genius of a Tom York. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. Well, I, I, I think that, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I think that put us both in the, like, pleasantly surprised category. Stop. No, you're right. That's right on. So. Fucking 25 episodes or whatever we are into our Radiohead podcast. Lot more we're like, <laughs> Ed O'Brien, you're all right. <laughs> EOB is A-OK. Yeah, let's see what's going on with old Philly. Yeah, Phil, you kind of got, you've got uh, handsome shoes to fill here. What so if he called the, his solo album Leotardo? <laughs> Because his oh, name's Phil his from name's, The Sopranos. Now he goes by. No, we always call him Phil, which uh-huh. is how I think of him listed in the Radiohead liner notes. But his mm-hmm. he I is going this, yeah. by Philip Selway for his. I know solo. a little late in the game to try and become a cool guy, Phil. Let's just stick with what we got. D- does know? he go by Phil more more often than not in Radiohead? In the yeah, in the liner notes and everything, it's Phil Selway. Okay, so that's all. He thinks that this is going to like distinguish him or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Philip Selway, the yeah. solo artist. He Not wears a wig when he's doing his solo stuff and is like pretending people don't know he's bald. Yes, exactly. Oh, I wish SNL was creative and good still. That would be a great bit. Like a yeah, skit. sure. Like, I, know, the, like, I can't think of drummer. any era where that would speak <laughs> to that. anyone other than us. No, no, but like a lesser known member of a prominent band, like trying to do a solo career, but like not disguising themselves at all. I don't know. There's a good bit in there. I just sure. wanted to bash SNL too because 
I don't know. Why not? Now, okay, so Phil's, this is the title track from Phil's brand new, like 2023 album, Strange mm-hmm. Dance. And I'm sorry, I just called him Phil again, but it's Philip now. So mm-hmm. let's let's listen to... Let's respect already, our... <laughs> already, though, I got to say, already I am feeling a little bit apprehensive because Ed, I feel like, is showing us that he's doing something more light and minimal by mm-hmm. g- going under the moniker EOB for his. Mm-hmm. And Phil is kind of being like, oh, yeah, when I'm in Radiohead, that's a bit of a larf, you know? I'm being mm-hmm. Phil there. But mm-hmm. when I do my real stuff, I'm Philip. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit nervous about this, but let's check out Strange Dance. Yeah, this sounds like a Phillips LA. <laughs> now, this already sounds more like Brian Eno uh-huh, than the Ed agree. Project did. And Phil looks more like Brian Eno. And I'm waiting out this night. Wishing I was coming home. Okay. I really wish another instrument would come in so I could kind of like get a better feel for this vocal melody. I don't want to kick another bald man like this, but I'm not (laughs) appreciating what I'm hearing so far. Zach, what do you? What do you, I need you're another making a lot of faces. To measure it. I don't hate his. Yeah. He has a delicate singing voice. I like it. I don't like what he's doing with it, and I don't like the song, but I don't hate his voice. I feel bad, but sometimes I just I don't hate like the execution voice. of the vocals. Though he's like over enunciating everything. Can I? It, can I make an observation about both of them, uh, Ed, yes. Ed and Phil's? Uh, the lyric writing is dorky. Yeah, I'm not a songwriter. I'm not a poet. I'm not here to yeah. throw stones, except for at these two gentlemen. But both of them, it sounds like a teenager wrote these. And yeah, this is really self-serious feeling. Yeah, and I, it, what it also sounds like to me is like if when like people from like say like Sweden or Finland or something like don't speak English, but they learn how to sing like a famous song. And it's <laughs> yes. like, it's like perfectly like enunciated, but you could just, there's just something missing. That's what this sounds like. It's like somebody whose native tongue isn't English and they don't even know how to speak it, but they have memorized the inflections <laughs> and sounds of yes, the song. Not this is native very tongue. Norwegian sounding. Yes. And now I'm not talking Norwegian blues. <laughs> I'm talking, uh, Norwood. Nor <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, let's see. I'm trying to see if I can pull up the lyrics here. Oh, why? Wow, it's like the lyrics are nowhere to be found online. Yeah, this sounds like music somebody in Nevada City would make or something. <laughs> Our hometown of Nevada City, California. No, I, it, this does. Oh wait this a second! Very... Aaron Ross is from Nevada City. Aaron Ross yeah. is amazing. No, but I know what you mean though. Like, <laughs> yes. th- there's tons of amazing music. Nevada City. Absolutely. One of the coolest Chalk things hole. about being in that town is it has an incredibly exciting and cool 
yes. local music scene. But I know it like I, this is like some white dreadlocked ass music if I have ever heard it. I, I can't take any more of this. No, I've been I've I was ready a while ago. <laughs> okay. Um that was bad. That uh, yeah, no, thank you. Wow. Okay, so Ed, did you expect Ed to outshine Phil to this degree? Uh I did and I'm I'm not being um I'm not uh being dishonest at all because uh, no, I, I didn't you. expect it to be that good though, but I definitely did because you know, you have your your Dave Grohl's, and and I'm not the biggest Phil Collins fan in his solo career, but he undoubtedly has a great ear for melody. You know, he's definitely and, a lot better than Philip Selway. I'll give him that. Absolutely, and he has. He's and, be, I mean, he, Phil to I don't Phil, his, he's killing it. I don't love his sing and a Baldy too. I don't love his singing yeah. voice, but I think I know. <laughs> but <laughs> I, between the two of them, I just didn't get good vibes on a Phil solo career, whereas. From Ed, I I mean, I really like the song Tree Fingers for what it is, but I did not expect it to be that melodic. Uh, and I'm talking about the song we just listened to, and I did expect to like Ed's stuff more. I did not expect it to be that disparate, though, uh, you know. Well, I think that it's like, okay, so what we heard of Ed, it, it, you know, we've, we've joked about how as Radiohead has moved in kind of these more... Uh, in, in these less guitar-driven areas in their music, Ed mm. seems to there persistently seems to be an Ed quote where he's like, "I thought this would be the album mm-hmm. where we'd play fun rock songs on my guitar again," and it's always like, "Ed, right. shut the fuck up!" Like, no one cares. Yeah, I'm it's a big like, fan of the G chord. <laughs> 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 and O'Brien noted in Mo- to Mojo in 2002. <laughs> the G chord. <laughs> I thought, I've learned how to add uh, a D note on the B string with my ring finger. Gives it a nice kind of full sound. Oh, man. Our guitar chord heads out there are loving this. Well, yeah, because that is literally step one to a three-part chord, a triad. So you chose the... That was very well done. What if he goes, I I found middle C on a piano. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, and and Tom, as soon as Tom saw him doing that, he's like, get your fucking hands off my piano. But <laughs> also, don't you feel, too, like the, the D note, adding that D note, that high D in a G chord mm. is like... It's oh. Only... You're about to play a very lame song. <laughs> like, you know um, what I mean? Yes. Uh, you know, uh, Fred Armisen has an amazing. Like, bit. I don't hear um, the Beatles doing that or Dylan doing that or the Stones do it. Like, it's not, you're not about to do something that has any sort of like blues or rock edge to it. You're about no. to like play the Goo Goo Dolls. Yes. Uh, yes. I do agree there. I mean, David Gilmore would use that G a lot, though. And as previously discussed, okay, he's fair enough. my favorite. But I, I totally know what you mean. That was that was totally true. Uh, Fred Armisen has a great bit um, that I think it was when he was on um, Fallon recently. And he goes through like, um, he's just so musically gifted. And yeah. I love, I mean, he's not the first comedian to ever incorporate his musical talents into an act. But he really, because he great SNL alumni. He just has this, this, this ability to like incorporate impressions into his musicality that I've never seen executed so well. And he basically goes through generations of, of, you know, previous generations, what they would do on the guitar. And also then like Australian rock bands or like 
uh, Northern, you know, English or, or whatever, you know, like different regions of the United Kingdom and stuff. And it's so genius because I'm like, I don't know any Australian bands. And then you hear it and you're like, oh, wait, I do know this song. And what he, but what he does when he talks about guys who have just learned how to play the guitar and are getting a little bit okay, he's like, when you do a D chord, don't do that thing where you just like, he's oh. like why does everyone do, you know, I, can you help where me? Where you do like one? a hammer on with your pinky yes. on the, on the G yeah. note. Yeah. And he does, he does it somehow so well where it's like, he even like makes the face of like, the, I don't know. It's, I can't, listeners go on to watch it. I'm sure this isn't as funny me describing a bit, but like, it is so true and so funny. That's so funny, dude. When I was in a band, do you remember the band I was in when I was playing with uh, Tommy Yellen? Mm. Uh, yeah, at, well, uh, at yeah. the Fort Oregon house, the singer songwriter mm-hmm. Tommy that I was yeah. playing with a lot at that time, mm-hmm. and we were like jamming on each other's songs all the time. I I don't know what we were, but I think it was a little bit of like a you know collective of musicians who were living in that house and stuff. Mm-hmm. But Tommy and I would play a lot of songs together. This dude, in my opinion, uh, one of the most gifted songwriters you've never heard of, right? Really? I, a, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm a I'm an enormous fan of of what Tommy did. All that to say, I remember showing him a new song of mine and it was this little kind of like folky mm-hmm. chord-driven riff in D that I could still play for you sometime that I still mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Um but at one point in the iteration of it I was doing that little pinky mm-hmm. hammer on on the D mm-hmm. chord and he was like I don't like that. <laughs> and i was like you what he was like i don't like when people do that thing with the d chord <laughs> like, oh okay and i yeah. think he was right it, it was oh, wait because it was totally like a thing of oh i've written a little like mm-hmm. melody on the guitar for the g and the e minor and the yeah. a and when uh-huh. i get to the d i'll just do that and it was totally like once it was pointed out to me that it sucked it was like now i gotta come up with something more clever for that right but, and that's yeah. why you guys broke up. <laughs> that's why we broke up, and that's why we haven't spoken to this day. Just kidding. I actually uh, reconnected with Tommy uh, oh, great. in the last six months, and it was great. Super nice guy. That's awesome. But yeah, that. anyway, so, so uh, several people out there not a fan of doing that with the D chord, and and I. I wonder I think if you that was the seed of um, the seeds of uh, one of my favorite one of my only Beatles songs that I prefer a cover to um, across the universe, which is primarily a John Lennon song. I mean, all the songs are Lennon McCartney, but uh, that is from the let it be sessions. I want to say, and it's just the, the version that made it on the album is really shoddily recorded. So I think that's part of the reason why all all that to say um, it's a brilliant song, but I love the Rufus Wainwright cover like more than life itself. It's so incredible. But the guitar line of that is D and then various just shapes and octaves of D all the way up the neck. And it's what it's such a beautiful intro. I wonder if like though John was doing the G D chord with a hammer on on G initially and Paul's like, yeah, what about this bit right here? (laughs) He wrote across the universe intro because did something way way better. The way those guys would help each other write. And and I was being cheeky, but like it, it is literally magic. That's, you know, not a trick in real life. I, anyways, please, major rabbit trail there. I grabbed my guitar while you were talking because I thought I could just show listeners the the thing please. that we're talking about real quick. Yeah, so I'm going to set my mic down. Which is, no, uh, just the D thing that we don't like. Mm-hmm. Just like... <laughs> 
There you go. There you go. Is that what you were talking about? That, yes. Yeah. And, yes. The, and the thing that I did, it was originally like, right? And he was like, yeah. that's lame. And I ended up changing it to, oh, even better. Way better, right? Yes. But yeah, so d- I, I would agree with Fred Armisen. Don't heed the warning of the G hammer on with the D. Mm-hmm. I mean, those were all the things that I brought for us to kind of go through. Was there anything that, you know, anything else in the grab bag that you want to pull out and look at before we, yeah, before I, we get I out think of here? So. This is sort of more of a big picture thing. I know we strayed away from Radiohead a few times, but I wanted to bring up, you know, in our in our earliest episode, one of the things Walker said that I, I really agree with um, was that Radiohead are relatively scandal free, which is something he really likes. We all have our moments, you know, Tom, certainly we like his bite and his edge. Um, none of that's, uh, none of it seemingly is our business, right? Which I think is important to remember. That said, and I wasn't digging for this at all. This came across my desk and it happened in 2022. So that shows you how uh, in tune with the media I am. But um, <laughs> I did see this thing. Um, I'm also not on Twitter, but I saw this article um, talking about, it was speculating a lot of, things about Johnny Greenwood's beliefs that um, I do not think are apparent or on display. But what, what it essentially came from was Johnny Greenwood in, on April 27th, 2022, issued something in the way of an apology because somebody pointed out, uh, a Twitter user pointed out, that he um, had liked a tweet from a user named uh, Suzanne Moore Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. We'll, we'll back up. That Johnny Greenwood had liked a tweet from a yeah a Twitter user named Suzanne Moore, who is known for being um, uh, transphobic and and just not 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 in tune with culture at all. You know, like I I didn't do a lot of research on her. I'm not going to because those aren't my beliefs. Um, but Johnny Greenwood liked a rather mild tweet that was you know listeners can look it up. I'm not going to go into into depth on it. But <clears throat> nonetheless, she's not known for, for good things. And he tweeted, basically explained this. He said, fat thumb, for what it's worth, I only use Twitter to share parentheses and steal other people's enthusiasms for music slash comedy slash art, etc. I also read a lot of writers I like, but avoid commenting on things about which I'm ignorant like this. So maybe he is, uh, and a lot of people in the comments were like, this is so disappointing. You know, oh, you know, you've been following this person for years yet, Fat Thumb. I do think there's merit to that. Um, obviously, I'm going easy on this person because I think the thing in a way of an apology is very um, vague, but also addresses like, I like that he says I'm ignorant on things like this. He doesn't dig his heels in deeper. I don't really want to commentate on this anymore because uh, on that specifically, but I kind of wanted to just Can I ask a question? A... Sure. Uh huh. What it was the issue with the tweet itself, or that he is following and liked the tweet of somebody known for expressing, yep, bad it's views the in general. <clears throat> that, okay, the latter. Okay. So, um, you know, and if you want to nutshell that at all, like I don't mind, you know, editing. If I was like stumbling all over my words there or anything like, that. oh, the, the way well, the original. Oh, okay, what is the angry? Oh, well, the tweet is not great either that he liked. 
No, that's the problem. Is that a yeah, user yeah. pointed okay, out gotcha. that he liked a tweet that is not great? This person is known for doing, I would say, tweets that are much worse than that. I so see. I was saying on the spectrum of offensive stuff that that person has posted, the one he liked is, you know, I, I don't know what the context is. I don't know what they're talking about. I don't um, either, but it's it's saying that referring to lesbians as angry men, and there and there is yes clearly a specific context of something going on that yes. she's talking about. But okay, fair enough. Yeah, and and like I said, I I'm sure that like a lot of the folks that were offended by this or know more about this this person that is known for uh, expressing views that are you know. Um, so I, I get it why they would be, you know, offended or whatever. Um, yeah. and it's, it's not that I just want to see Johnny Greenwood only in this one light that I cast him. I just, I think the way he addressed it was appropriate and there's yeah. not a lot of evidence supporting that he, um, supports like views that are so at odds with what you're bigoted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I'm also not going to say too, well, you can't be in a rock band. Bullshit. There's plenty of homophobic, awful people in rock bands. I just don't see those views manifested in a lot of ways in other evidence so that's why i wanted to kind of use this as a question for you walker of what are your thoughts on kind of separating the art from the artist and i guess i'll i'll briefly we were talking about john lennon two seconds ago i I do want to hear you speak on this more but like i listeners i will say my first idea with separating the art from the artist came in the form of John Lennon when I learned as a as a pretty young person that he had a history of, you know, physical violence against um uh, really all of his wives and also I would say ranks up there um with some of the all-time greats in terms of talking about peace and love. And you know, kind of reconciling that with my young mind was a big challenge and so yeah, that that was kind of my example. And I'm not saying, oh, I separated it out and that's forgivable at all. It's just, that was my first experience with it. I'm not even going to give insight into how I've grappled with this. Um, so I was curious kind of what your thoughts are on this matter, Walker, if you have anything to say, examples, whatever. Hmm. Uh, that's a really interesting question. I, I, I just want to, uh, the way you got into it with Johnny Greenwood, I do just want to briefly comment and say this, you sharing this with me is the first mm-hmm. I'm aware of it. And I, mm-hmm. I think you've really nicely covered the bases there of okay. that this doesn't strike you as Johnny Greenwood choosing this as the way to reveal to us that he's a homophobic bigot and mm-hmm. more either a lapse in judgment or mm-hmm. or I would also be fine taking him at his word of just like he's got a big feed and he didn't read it correctly or or, or read or it thought all. it w- that was funny in context but wasn't aware of the immense cloud of negativity that this person has overall on a lot of issues yes yeah or i mean i would say that if he saw that joke and thought that uh thought that joke was funny and thought mm-hmm. it was worth giving a like to that i would say that was a a lapse mm-hmm. in judgment for what he uh represents and the kind of fan base that he's cultivated um so i anyway at the same time i also think it's important to cover the base that us being a fan of this guy's work does not give him any sort of protection for Mm -hmm. being accountable for the things he says and supports so Mm -hmm. not knowing anything else about the situation i would say i'm certainly not going to assume that uh Johnny Greenwood is like regressive in his general views because of this. Um, 
But I think that if this person that he was following and that he liked the tweet of is a hate monger and somebody pointed it out, I think it's good for him to apologize mm-hmm. and think more in the future about how he represents himself on Twitter because it is a public forum. So I did just want to comment on the Johnny Greenwood situation. The art from the artist thing is, man, it's such a tricky tricky topic because i really feel like i i mean i i have i have my views and opinions about this and i'm willing Mm -hmm. to share them i think that it's one of those things where i i feel pretty certain that by putting it out there i'm gonna be pissing off someone Mm -hmm. on kind of either side of the issue like and by the issue i mean you know the people of like who are, I would put it, whining about, you know, Mm -hmm. this thing that they call cancel culture Mm -hmm. and basically pining for a time. And my view on that is you're pining for a time where you could behave poorly with impunity. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now there's there's a different set of accountability for it. Um, I share your view on this matter. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I but, you know, but also, you know, to to the left of it, uh, you know, and which is much more on the spectrum of where I would align myself. I do sometimes think there is a denial of what can be a mob mentality and Mm -hmm. be very unforgiving and also an occasional refusal to put things in their context. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I guess is I'm hemming and hawing as a way to say that I don't think that it is incumbent upon anybody to separate the art from the artist. When mm-hmm. you when you hear that sentence, it's often said, you have to separate the art from the right. artist. Yeah. And it's like, fuck you. No, I don't you have don't. to do shit, right? Yeah. I, I don't have to, st- like, and use John Lennon as an example. John Lennon's music is very, very important to me. It's very, very important to a lot of people. I don't mm-hmm. think that that importance trumps somebody else's right to go, I'm not interested in mm-hmm. listening in uh in mm-hmm. engaging with the work of somebody who I find to be morally abhorrent because of the mm-hmm. things we know that they said or did. Mm-hmm. I think that's like a perfectly legitimate stance to take and I think it's perfectly legitimate to take that stance about things that I really happen to really enjoy. And I think it's also really important to acknowledge it gets harder and harder to take that stance the more you enjoy the work mm-hmm. of the person. Right. I don't think any of us are really that objective. Mm-hmm. I think that separating the art from the artist is a very, very personal choice. And mm-hmm. the line is very different from person to person in terms of who they choose to separate it about and what and how they do that and what it takes for them to stop engaging with the work of somebody they like. Yeah. Uh, I know for me, I have examples of both. I have examples of artists who I have continued to engage with their work when I know that they have said and done, like it's a matter of public record that they have done things that I find to be Mm -hmm. objectionable or in some cases criminal. Mm -hmm. And then I have artists who I have been a massive fan of, who I no longer engage with their work, who have done things that are maybe not even at the level of other, Mm -hmm. of, of criminality or mm-hmm. or unforgivable in the public eye. Um, I'll, I'll just say what I'm talking about. Louis C.K. is somebody mm-hmm. who's was a stand-up comedy hero of mine, 
and who I took his kind of, you know, public disgrace very, very hard. Mm-hmm. And um, he's out there. He's touring. He's making music. He's winning good, Grammys. Or, sorry, m- making music. Yeah, winning Grammys. Like, you know, I, I think he very nicely fits into a counter to the cancel culture narrative. It has affected, you know, what he was exposed for doing has affected his career. He's not... Uh, achieving the same level of across the board notoriety mm-hmm. and embraced mm-hmm. by like, you know, intellectuals and you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's like he's cultivated a different fan base, but he's also still, I would imagine making millions of dollars a year doing mm-hmm. stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. I don't support his work anymore. And it, the reasons for that are largely personal. I can't really enjoy Mm -hmm. listening to this guy kind of tell it like it is Mm -hmm. when it was in my mind, a smoke screen for much worse behavior. Mm -hmm. And the other personal note on it for me is even though I am nobody in the world of stand up comedy, Mm -hmm. and he is one of the most famous people in that world. Mm -hmm. I also feel weird supporting his work because I feel like I'm voting with my Mm -hmm. dollars saying, I don't care if the environment that I work in is safe for my female colleagues. Mm -hmm. And I know people personally who have had an opportunity to work with Louis Mm CK since all that stuff came out, who have turned it down privately and received no fanfare for choosing not to work with him just on Mm -hmm. moral grounds. Um, I feel like I've been talking for a really long time. This is like a big topic, no, but I, I want to at I, least pause and give you a chance to kind of interject. I like, really more serious to, than we usually get on this podcast, but I really I wanted to rambling. get your perspective on it. And I, there was not a second that you were talking that I was bored or not engaged. So please don't worry about it. Um, I guess the, the one thing that I would just tack on, I mean, I suppose anyone who immediately shut it off uh, just because I was, I guess doing a decent job kind of, leading in but i'll just admit it a little stuttery a little stumbling because this is even just talking about the issue of like the thing that johnny may have been liking that you know doesn't reflect our views it's just hard to do even if you're you're trying to say everything right or reflecting your own views i i understand though listeners that it's probably easy for me as like a cis white heterosexual male or whatever you know to be like oh well even if he liked that you know it's a lapse in judgment you know I could I could understand from a different perspective being like, yeah, it's easy for you, even if those aren't your views, Zach, to be like, kind of give him a pass or whatever, because it's so easy for me to exist in this world. I get all that. Um, I think the way Walker nutshelled it, though, of like could have been a lapse in judgment, this, that, and the other thing was really, really well said. And I don't think that he holds those views. However, th- I just when I read that, I was like, this is this is a really interesting conversation that I know. I feel like at least I will be very interested in kind of what your perspective is on it. And I brought up John Lennon for a reason. And, uh, and I, you know, I guess I would just say the way you said that, like the, how important it is to you shouldn't affect the way other people kind of draw those lines like that, that really, I really feel like I couldn't have said it any better, you know? And I, and the way this kind of correlates to me saying like, I know it's easy for me to give some people a pass, even if they don't reflect my views or not a pass, but you know, say, yeah, well, or darn it, but I could still enjoy it. I feel that way about John Lennon to a degree because it's like, I have never been in an abusive relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know what the terrors of that entail and and the s- scars, you know, even... But the thing that I do think 
is interesting is, you know, I said one of the, the in my opinion, greatest authors and poets about peace and love of, of our time. It's just my opinion. Yet he had this, this awful blind spot. I do appreciate that there was some reconciliation and acknowledgement of how wrong and abhorrent that behavior was by the man himself. And, you know, you know what I'm talking about? How John would, yeah. would he talked about it on record and he did not talk about it like Sean Connery who said, sometimes women need a slap. He talked about it with a great deal of regret and shame and acknowledgement that he was something he was trying to do better from. Again, I don't know what it was like to have been terrorized by him. So I know it's easy for me to sit here and say this. Right. I do think though, that people that vehemently continue to deny it, that there's something to preserve an image that has already been tarnished. There's something very different to me than that. Um, than like say the way John Lennon addressed it. And I, I understand it was probably easy for him to do that in the sixties and seventies when half of American men beat their wives, but mm-hmm. it was just different. Um, and it, I'm not saying it was a different time and it was okay. There's something different about the fact that he acknowledged how flawed and fucked up that was. And not everyone has to apply that level of perspective. I understand there's a great deal of bias on my part in saying that. So, and I'm not saying like, and I've forgiven him. It's not for me to forgive. It's not for me to right, apply. Right. Then there's something awful like, you know, Bill Cosby, who I think currently has been acquitted. I, I, in no way can I put aside all the horribly awful things, even though I think his comedy was greatly influential and quite funny. I, I, and it's not to please anybody or to fit into some standard, you know? So, and, and there's no universal lines is what I mean to say. It's different for every person. I really, really want to just echo your sentiments of what you said that like, it doesn't live in a box. So where I've like really thought about this, like, man, people are people, they're fallible and it sucks. Sometimes they make great art. Sometimes I can't not think about that stuff, but no, I mean, I think it's important to do when you really do idolize something to a degree to reflect upon yourself and the mistakes you've made. And remember that all people are fallible and I'm not saying that so that you can forgive them if they do something I'm hoarded. And I'm saying it to kind of keep your admiration and love in check a little bit is, is more what I'm, encouraging myself and I guess listeners if they want. Yeah. I mean, I think that's all really well said. I I think that, I think that you're keying in on something that I feel strongly about this conversation, which is, I just don't think it's for one individual to dictate Mm -mm. to another, what their relationship to art made by, I mean, we're all flawed human beings, but made by Mm -hmm. somebody who is, who has demonstrably, Mm-hmm. engaged Awful. in harmful mm-hmm. behavior or rhetoric. Mm-hmm. I, and I feel like I need to kind of be honest about like how I, how contradictory my relationship to this is because, because mm-hmm. I've kind of said you're going to, it's hard to talk about without pissing somebody off. So it's like, mm-hmm. on the one hand, I've said this thing about Louis CK or where that's somebody whose work I was obsessed with and now no Mm -hmm. longer engage with. I think it's Mm -hmm. important for me to clarify that maybe there's a partially an unselfish motivation about like wanting Mm -hmm. the comedy space to be a safe environment for uh, everybody to, you know, people of Mm -hmm. all genders, backgrounds, et cetera, to be able to, work hard and get funny without fear of harassment. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But also there's, there's a larger part of it that is just the selfish thing of, I do not enjoy listening to his comedy anymore. I thought of him one way stuff came out. I think of him in a different way. It changed my relationship to his work. 
and I don't engage with it anymore. Mm -hmm. There are people who, for me, the work they did has a bigger impact than whatever they did as individuals. John Lennon is one of those people, but I'll take a more contemporary example Mm -hmm. and say um, J.K. Rowling is somebody Mm -hmm. who I don't go out of my way to put money in J.K. Rowling's pocket. In fact, I would Mm -hmm. probably go out of my way not to. I will try to vote with my dollars to the extent that Mm -hmm. I don't want to buy new Harry Potter properties and support somebody whose views I find bigoted and having immeasurably harmful impact Mm -hmm. on a vulnerable community, right? Mm -hmm. Also, at the same time, I personally don't feel that I am doing anything to help the community that she is shitting Mm -hmm. on by throwing away my Harry Potter books and not (laughs) enjoying this world that Mm -hmm. she built. And again, I say, and I mean, I'm just really, I, I, I might be being wrong and contradicting myself all over the place. I am just trying to honestly engage with this topic, you know? Yeah. Well, I think and let the chips fall. Job. <laughs> well, thank you. Walker, if I could just add on, and this is, this is really the last thing I want to say on it. Um, you know, uh, not forever, but at least on, on this podcast, you know, I was thinking about when you were talking about JK Rowling and that we, we, there are some people that have had such an immeasurable effect that, that is largely positive, you know, through their work, let's say that, um, you know, it may, may, it may surpass their own individual negative, negative individualities or views or something like that. Now, to paraphrase. And I was thinking about the book Ender's Game that was written by Orson Scott sure. Card, who is a known outspoken um, Latter-day Saint member um, and has, has made some really um, harmful, awful comments about homosexuality um, that is typically a, a group that is not known for being, you know, super open and, and respectful of those communities. Um, but he in particular, uh, and and what, what struck me about that is the book Ender's Game, and I've read a couple of his other books, not in many, many years, but the book Ender's Game is such an amazing science fiction novel for adults or children. It's, it's, you know, it's not, it, a lot of people enjoy it. And I remember that was one of the first books I read that helped, helped me think a lot about allegory and story. And, and I don't really know what it, what like he could have been drawing upon, but I, I just remember it's been a lot of years since I read it, but I was thinking about this recently. Like, it's so interesting that, a book that taught me how to kind of, you know how sci-fi can be a great delivery system for draw like district nine, for instance, about talking about like disenfranchised people and how we treat people as humans, you know, in a different class. Um, but they can use aliens as that vehicle or something like that. Uh, uh, Ender's game sort of made me think about a lot of those things, you know, um, in the context of like war and, and different uh, classes and things like that. And those are really good things I think to think about, you know, and, I don't know if it was his intent or not, but I, uh, that was one of the examples where I'm like, man, it's such a bummer that this person is seemingly so narrow-minded in my opinion, yet was one of the catalysts, not the catalyst. And I don't think about it all the time, but like to helping me really frame story in a context that, that that's what I think movies and books can be so good at is when they're not talking directly about the thing. I also love books like that, but they make you think and it puts you outside of it enough to where you're able to put aside your biases a little bit, you know, whatever the topic is. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think I really liked your JK Rowling analogy. Um, and I'm just using my own version of it. And there is of course a moment where 
you can't, I don't think anybody should call themselves a more unethical person. You should not read Mein Kampf and say that you're reading it to learn about how to treat other people nicely. You know, that that's a line right. that I'm comfortable. That said, I do think though that um, there it's, it's different for every person, like you said. And I just wanted to kind of use my, Ender's Game analogy, uh, example. <laughs> that's a really that's good example. And, no, that's a really good example, and you're helping me kind of clarify the point because because bringing J.K. Rowling into it is such a hot button thing, and it's also funny because it's like I don't care that much about Harry Potter, and I certainly don't care that much about J.K. Rowling. So it, it mm-hmm. might sound like this is like a hill that I'm willing to die on because I love Harry Potter so much, which is no. really not the point that I want to make. What I the point I'm trying to make is that sometimes really gross people do Mm -hmm. really great work. And I think that for me, there's a point where that work is in the public domain and our attachment Mm -hmm. of uh, the public domain of our minds and imaginations and Mm -hmm. our attachment to it. And what we got out of it lives outside of that individual because Mm -hmm. I read, I started reading the Harry Potter books to my kid before I knew anything about JK Mm -hmm. Rowling's, uh, bigoted views about trans people mm-hmm. and you know the fact that she's so bigoted about trans people would lead me to believe she's probably bigoted about a lot of other things that i would find offensive mm-hmm. and wrong-headed and i don't think that i have a right to tell somebody more directly affected by that kind of rhetoric hey get over it separate the art from the artist harry potter's fun mm-hmm. and i also think that i can engage with the fun story about a wizard boy and Mm -hmm. deal with engage with that on its own terms and engage with the things the person who wrote that book are saying on their own terms Mm -hmm. and meet those things each on kind of their own (laughs) their Mm -hmm. own playing field and you know i can read those books to my kid and if he encounters her ideas that I find to be harmful, I can, mm-hmm. I can, I feel confident in my ability to express to him. Yeah. You know, I really like those Harry Potter books too, but I think that what this person is doing is really fucked up because of this, this, and this mm-hmm. reason. And I think we should look at these things really critically, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately we have way too much access to people. Yeah. Um, And I made a joke a while ago, like, I wish we could have found out about J.K. Rowling's horrible views through her posthumously published letters like every other (laughs) author. You know, (laughs) what you were saying about Orson Scott Card having all these regressive ideas, but making you, but expanding your mind into these more progressive ideas is really true. Uh, uh, Flannery O'Connor wrote some of the best books, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. some of the best fiction of the 20th century. And Mm -hmm. then when uh, that posthumous letters example is a real one, when her personal correspondence came out, she's like deeply racist Mm -hmm. and her books are often satirizing and mocking these, uh, Mm -hmm. Christian Southern Jim Crow era, like bigots, Mm -hmm. But yeah. it turns out her own personal views were extremely problematic. Brett Easton Ellis wrote American Psycho, and it's a total satire of misogyny and consumerism mm-hmm. culture and has gone on to publicly say a bunch of really gross mm-hmm. misogynist thing. And it's, and But whether or not he is in line and, mm-hmm. sh- and Flannery O'Connor was in line with these ideas that were being expressed through their work, whether or not they are personally bigoted, it's still 
good work. And mm. that is a really interesting thing about people that they can be so deeply contradictory. Roman Polanski, fucking rapist. That was the monster. other person I was I was thinking about that I went with the Orson Scott card, and I know I'm interrupting you, but I think Roman Polanski at the time provided some of the most thought provoking work made by a man about how we treat women in society. Yes. And he was a fucking villain in that regard. Exactly. Now there's I know a you huge that, count. <laughs> no, exactly. No, but I agree. And and so I think the point is made, right? That people are not one thing, they're contradictory yes. and yes. they can express deep and thoughtful ideas and views on things and and mm-hmm. small-minded, bigoted or monstrous behavior. But mm-hmm. there's a huge counterpoint to all of this, which is this is where I think like the whole cancel culture thing is less important than just elevating more voices because mm-hmm. It's completely reasonable for somebody to say, okay, fine. Rosemary's baby is fucking great. Have fun. I'd rather Mm -hmm. watch something that is a meditation Mm -hmm. on how women are treated in society that isn't made by a rapist. And Mm -hmm. I think that is very valid. Mm -hmm. And I agree. That's only going to happen by kind of what we seem to be getting to more in our culture now by elevating more voices than just one particular class, gender, Mm -hmm. and race, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, Mm -hmm. the more you do that, the more you're going to have options in your art to go to that aren't made by transphobes, homophobes, Mm -hmm. racists, or Mm -hmm. sex criminals. (laughs) Yeah, no. I So I I I think that that all, there's a much bigger, there's a much bigger thing that needs to happen for us to not maybe have to separate the art from the artist so much, which is just Mm -hmm. make art more widely accessible Mm -hmm. to more people. And, uh, you know, like they'll find out that people in all people groups are also monsters. (laughs) There's that too. There's that too. I mean, it's no, but it is though. It is that too. Right. It's just, we just need, it needs, we need a truly level playing field. Mm -hmm. And, and then that, that shit will really democratize itself because there, I guarantee you, there are people Mm -hmm. you have never heard of who Mm -hmm. are just as funny and insightful as Louis C.K., who never did uh, sex crimes mm-hmm. to people that they worked with. <laughs> yeah, and and th- this should go without saying. Um, I feel like I'm all over the place, but I think I I think I kind of landed how I feel about it. Absolutely not, and and I I really don't feel that way. I really uh, would would you know we'll talk about it after the episodes over what we want to keep or not but i i want to confidently tell you on mike that i really really i knew there would be interesting conversation now i i guess i would just kind of you know cap it all off with by saying of course and it should go without saying but i just want to emphasize it neither walker nor i fancy ourselves to be uh beyond reproach in every regard this is a big conversation in the culture though that i think there's enough interesting things to speculate and it's topical because Radiohead are rel- relatively scandal-free. Again, I do think the way that it was handled was vague, but also enough. Um, and this is the point of the podcast where I'm going to admit, listeners, that I am a complete and total fraud and contradictory uh, because th- Walker and I hate Radiohead. And we have been uh, lying all this time. We've done an immense amount of work. Um, no, all so we, we could- love is that Johnny Greenwood liked this problematic tweet <laughs> <Yes>. once. <laughs> 
We're actually just like solo work. (laughs) Yeah. We're just like right wing culture warriors who are just like, we'll just embrace anybody who like pisses off the wokes. Yeah. We're covert. We've been so deep in our covert off. This is like when somebody had like, you know, the FBI or whatever becomes like addicted to cocaine, even though they had to do it for their job. Walker and I have, have gotten so deep in on this ruse that we, you know, learned everything about the band that we could. And no, I'm just joking. But well, that, it's that like all the these jerks who love Dave Chappelle now because he like because yeah, he makes no fun shit. of trans people. And it's like, oh, okay, great. Well, why don't you check out the rest of his career? Like, <laughs> did you like all that stuff he was doing about how like racist America is and like anti-cop and like yes, you know, like and your specific supremacy. archetype he seems to like really despise you know like yeah exactly <laughs> like he literally like has i mean this has been pointed out by other people but it's like he has now cultivated the audience that is why he quit Chappelle show yes i it's it, really bizarre yes. that's a whole other ball of wax that, that, that was that was all i had time. on on this topic and i i really you know trust you uh, as the editor to, to to you know scale down or whatever but i i think it was an interesting conversation i hope the listeners felt the same i do too and and we can move past it and close out the episode i do sometimes i ramble so much about and and i i love talking about this is a conversation that i engage in mm-hmm. uh, off mic too it's it my views about it are not clear cut. And I think that we're living through a very interesting time in terms of how we assess Mm -hmm. culture and, Mm -hmm. and you know what we feel good about consuming and don't. So uh, if my views came across contradictory, it's because I'm sure they are. I Mm -hmm. rambled so much that I do want to try to distill my answer to your question in one sentence, if possible Mm -hmm. of how do I separate the art from the artist, which is, There are artists I have put aside because I find their Mm -hmm. behavior or words immoral or or reproachful Mm -hmm. or harmful. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I am never, I doubt that over my life I will ever make a decision to only consume art made Mm -hmm. by what I consider to be morally unimpeachable or upstanding individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, There is great stuff made by bad people and I watch some of it and nobody is all good, including me. That's the other thing Mm -hmm. is once I start making too many, I'm willing to draw lines morally. You have to, Mm -hmm. we all do it. Mm -hmm. But there's a point that um, I am not wanting to, make proclamations about people that I don't know mm-hmm. that I don't want made about me, you know? Yeah. Cause I, I've yeah. said and done things that I'm not proud of too. Yes. And I want you to keep listening to this podcast listeners. And I'm sorry yeah. if that shakes any of your image of me. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I love it, man. I'm really, I'm really glad that you felt comfortable to, to elaborate on what you did. And that was, that was all I had. I think we could land the sucker if you're ready. Sure. Yeah. Listeners, this this was a true grab bag. We mm-hmm. we went from silly to serious to silly to serious and not unsolicited Zach, I, grabs. <laughs> no, no. This was a grab bag. This was a consensual, a consensual grab bag. Grab bag. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There you go. With with no uh hopefully no bigoted views expressed by either of your hosts. No. No. This Absolutely is not, not a we we hope let let me say this. 
I hope you're not having to do a bunch of work, listeners, to separate the art of this podcast <laughs> from the artists of Walker and Zach. You know, I know neither of us are perfect, but no, no, no. Um, we're both trying to do our best to to mm-hmm. make this a welcoming podcast for everybody. Mm-hmm. And hey, thank you so much for tuning in, Zach. Thank you for mm-hmm. taking this time to talk today. I really enjoyed this. We, I think we might have to do another episode like this sometime where we just, yeah. you know do a little assortment. I loved it. This was fun. This was great. And listeners, we'll see you next week. It's another big one. We won't spoil it for you, but very excited for next week's episode. So if you're mm-hmm. not subscribed, make sure you hit that uh, follow. Is it a follow button now yeah. on podcast? Yeah. yeah. Follow the podcast and meet us next week. Uh, we hope that you celebrated the 30th anniversary yes. of Pablo Honey like we did in so much like we did, and um, by that I mean by having a lengthy and rambling discussion about cancel culture. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, really enjoyed this. Listeners, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Idiotalk is a Glenn Brothers production. Get in touch with us at idiotalk.podcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at idiotalk.podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you.